the reality of the situation is that this is going to continually happen. People are going to keep dying. Because I feel like so many people die from these deaths, you know, and to know that they're remembered in some capacity. I've, I, I'm just assuming, you know what I mean? I don't have a child and, like, you know, someone who's passed away that's dear to me, but to know that they're remembered a year later, two years later, five years later, that's comforting on a different level. I just, it's weird for me two years later when something cool has happened in my life, randomly I'll remember them and be like, nothing's cool is happening in their life anymore. Do you know what I mean? I remember usually in tandem with, like, a positive event, a milestone of <clears throat> some sort of like a development in my life. Do you know what I'm saying? A girlfriend, an apartment, a job, a career prospect, something like that happens, and that's a good thing. Then I think of people I knew who passed away because of this disease. That's when I get sad. This episode of Dopey is brought to you by Oro Recovery. They're located in sunny Southern California. It was created by our friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob, with a mission to create treatment that helps addicts and alcoholics using compassion and connection rather than control. They have a staff with decades of experience working around co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. They have amenities you wouldn't believe. Sound bath meditation, equine therapy, surfing, the spiritually uh, transformative sweat lodge, potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. They, everybody that I know that has been to Oro can't say enough things. Newsweek uh, puts them in the top five rehabs in the world. 
If you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I cannot suggest going to Oro enough. Check them out at ororecovery.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Your Sober Buddy. Your Sober Buddy is a sober app that helps you to become sober. It helps you to stay sober. It lives in your pocket, in your phone. It is like having a sober friend in your pocket. They have a free down to the second sober tracker. It is free. Get the sober tracker in the app store or the Google play store, or go to YourSoberBuddy.com. get the free tracker, post your sober time. And, um, I really like your sober buddy. I love the challenges. I've done some video challenges. I would love you guys to try sober buddy and do some challenges too. And check them out at YourSoberBuddy.com. This episode of dopey is also brought to you by Evolution Accounting and Consulting. They are a full-service accounting firm that can help you with your taxes, bookkeeping, payroll, and almost any other business need you have. Thanks to technology, they work with people from all over the country and pride themselves on building exceptionally strong relationships with their clients. They say that their passion allows you to pursue yours because they understand the stress caused by worrying about taxes and accounting issues. When you allow them to take this off your plate, you'll be freed up to focus on what you love to do. And perhaps more importantly than anything else, the firm is run by a fucking crackhead. Fortunately, he's been in recovery for years and he knows the struggle as well as the success. Use the promo code DOPEY when you connect with them at www.evolution-accounting.com to receive special discounts. If you want an accountant, you go to Evolution. And before we get into the show, I wanted to also mention one of my favorite podcasts, Recovery in the Middle Ages, hosted by two middle-aged dads out on Long Island, recovery in the Middle Ages, tackle many, many pertinent issues in addiction and recovery. From 12-step recovery to alt-recovery to the newest medical research and talk about their daily struggle to maintain their recovery and anonymity in a world of soccer moms and PTA meetings. If the neighbors only knew, you can find recovery in the Middle Ages where all of your podcasts are and check them out. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by the great Ryan Hampton and his team at Mobilize Recovery. Mobilize Recovery is a great cause that's going national this September, and it's a project really close to my heart. It's a nonprofit organization and a way for you to pitch in and help end overdose and addiction in America. There's a way for everyone to get involved. There is no cost and there is no hidden agenda. Mobilize Recovery is about you our community, and what we can be doing together to inspire recovery solutions all across the United States. And now here's Ryan to tell you a little more. Hey everybody, this is Ryan Hampton, recovery advocate and founder of Mobilize Recovery. And I'm jumping on with Dopey today because we need you to help end overdose, end addiction, and inspire solutions for recovery across the United States. This September, the nonprofit initiative Mobilize Recovery is launching a national bus tour in partnership with iHeartMedia and Google. And we want to learn what your community, your organization, and your projects are doing to mobilize for change. Help us map the journey across the country. Learn more today at mobilizerecovery.org 
and submit your ideas to us. There's so many ways for you to get involved and to help us highlight the recovery experience that is so unique in different regions across all 50 states. Go to mobilizerecovery.org to learn more and to help us map this journey. And I hope we get to meet so many of you this coming September during National Recovery Month. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And my name is Dave, and I am alone in the uh, in the Dopey room where we shoot all the daily reflections on YouTube. And uh, it's a very important episode, I think, to me. Uh, every year this week, we do an episode uh, basically in some way or another about Chris. Every episode acknowledges Chris. If you don't know who Chris is, Chris was a guy, a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine who I started Dopey with in 2015. We started it together. Uh, I had four months of recovery. He had two years. And, you know, we just needed something to do. And I had nothing to do. And I was bugging out. And Chris really had a hankering to be creative. And he was like, let's do something. And, and, I'm sure a lot of you know the story. I had another friend named Brad who had an idea of doing a podcast around drug stories, and I wound up stealing Brad's story, uh, Brad's idea, and and me and Chris wound up making Dopey. And uh, the rest, of course, was podcasting history until the summer of 2018 where Chris overdosed and he died. And... Uh, you know, it, it's like, I swear to God, I walk around with this sort of anger against Chris uh, to, to kind of protect myself from how sad I feel that he's gone. And I've spent this week listening to uh, old Dopey and listening to old episodes with Chris. And uh, I really miss him. And he was, we had a very, very short friendship. You know, I mean, I bet to a lot of people, it was a long friendship. We met in 2011. He died in 2018, but the, the majority of our friendship was those two and a half years that we made the show. And, uh, I always say this also, my favorite thing about Dopey is basically it is a, a total documentation of our friendship and, and we get to know each other and we, we, we learned how to be podcasting partners and we 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 were in touch on a daily basis from 2015 to the day he died so when i listen to the old episodes it reminds me of our friendship and like there's a lot of funny bits in there there's a lot of like good times and funny bits but i think my favorite thing to listen to in the old episodes were the weird little side things where chris is like close the door it's freezing uh or like we'd get food or things like that the the, the things in between the show that kind of marked our life and when it was in the show it, it was it, it's just like a documentation of what our lives were like and dopey meant a lot of different things to a lot of different people and uh I know it meant so it means so much to me. It meant so much to Chris. I was just listening to the hundredth episode 
I'm going to play you guys the beginning of the 100th episode. Uh, but before I do, I want to say this, that the beginning of the 100th episode was voice memos from the audience. And the audience was much smaller then. So I would love it if you guys sent voice memos with dopey stories or what dopey means to you. Make it short. I will play them. The show is better when you guys are on the show. 100%. I was also listening to it, and I know that I love it when my dad uh, reads the reviews, but Chris loved the reviews even more than my dad. And I remember I was just listening to an episode with him, and he was so impressed that we had 70 reviews, and now we have like, I don't know, 2,100 reviews or something like that. But we need more reviews. Leave reviews on behalf of Chris and for my dad, my dad sits at the fucking computer waiting for these reviews. So send a, leave a review on iTunes, try to make it positive, and my dad will read it on the show. And if you send in voicemail, email, or review, I will send some sort of dopey merch, stickers or socks or a hat or whatever I have, I will send as a, uh, a payment, as a, an appreciation of you guys participating. But... Um, I want Chris to be in this episode. We also have special guests. We have Don and we have Dylan. Before we get to that, I just want to like mention that at the front, that was me and Chris doing Free Fallen. And if it was up to me, me and Chris would have sang a song every week, but Chris was not interested in singing. So to coax him into singing always was difficult. And I, you know, I think there was like four songs we ever did. We did Free Fallen. We did Bob Marley's Bad Card, but my guitar is so out of tune, I'm like embarrassed to play it. And we, of course, did the Chili's Baby Back Rib song. And my favorite was probably the Lion King song. But this is Chris at the beginning of episode 100, and it's fucked up, so brace yourself. Now we are at the 100th episode, a benchmark in podcasting. Yeah. I mean, triple digits. The next time we will, if, I mean, quadruple digits, is that's a far ways away. That's far away. What is that? Four years? No. Three and a half years? It depends. No, that's, that's, if, no, that's totally wrong. It's a long time away. It's, it's, it's six years away. It's four and a half years away. <laughs> I'm I don't retarded. Know. I don't know. If we did 102 years. <laughs> no, it'd be. But, but, the, but the, the equation is complicated. Because we did we did a hundred in two years or a year and eighteen months. Let's say yeah. a hundred and eighteen months. We did one a week. Just Shush! No, we <laughs> didn't. This is why the the computation is is difficult. No, but now we do one a week. Only if we change it with You're the computation. So fucking annoying. The first six months we did two a week. Yeah, but now we do one a week, so it's the computation is easy. But the first forty, it changes it to a fraction. Yeah, but we're at a hundred. So how many more to do another nine hundred? Oh, I got you. How many? That's 900 weeks. So what's 900 weeks? I don't know. What's 900 divided by 50? How many weeks are in a year? What? 52 weeks in a year. So it'd be 4.5 years, right? So you got it right away. Yeah. Just a little note here. We never (laughs) figured out how long it would take to get 1,000 episodes. I just tried to do the math on the side, and I think it's 19 years. So forgive me and for Chris for being idiots. Back to episode 100. That's good. Um, I gotta trust my brain. I'm glad. I'm glad you do. <laughs> um, Four point five years, unless the income. You know what I'll be? It'll be 
probably dead. No. You think you'll be a doctor. I'll be, I'll be a licensed <laughs> clinical psychologist. You could be in the street. Ugh. You know, we, we got some message this you morning. You could be dead. You know, like statistics say, I'd probably be dead, right? Yeah. Statistic. No, statistics, I, you know, I, I personally think you'll be a doctor. Nice. Thank you for that vote of confidence. I do. I think you'll be a mediocre doctor, but I think mediocre. That's yeah, pretty good. It's not bad. <laughs> I'll for that. I'm a mediocre waiter. I might be a bad waiter. No, you're a good waiter. Um, I, I really think you're a good waiter. Now I've seen you waiter. Listen, can so, you use waiter as a verb? Yes. Well, you really. I don't. The point is, you are a. Um, you will be a mediocre. You'll you'll be a fine doctor. Forget me. You'll be a fine doctor. Yeah. And. But somebody tweeted us last night. It's the second tweet we've gotten like this. I can't wait till Dave and Chris relapse. It will be the best episode. I ever. saw that. Yeah, I saw that. Where'd you? Somebody said it on Instagram a while ago. They just love that. You know who you, who's champion that is who? Joey Pepper. Pepper, Joey Pepper. Yeah, dude, you should pronounce it Joey Pepper. 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 Yeah, I mean, what, what happens in the uh, eventuality that we do relapse? It depends. Do we shift focus? It depends. Do we pivot? It depends on the relapse. What's the, did, paint me a picture. Okay, we both get some dope, some syringes. I get a little coke, too. For the show? And we get high. And do the, the show? <laughs> I don't see that happening. You know what? If one of us ever gets injured and we have to take pain meds, like we have to, to be accountable, we should only take our pain meds while we record dopey. That wouldn't we wouldn't need to take them then. Um, see, you really are weak in the morning. Can you please try to stop two? Drink okay, some more coffee. What are you asking me? That's your thing. Oh, if we relapse, what would happen? No, no, I'm not asking that. I'm, you said what would it look like, and I said, well, what would the relapse look like? I don't see us. You know what the relapse looks like? I disappear and I go into treatment. Well, then, if I'm lucky. Then you know, either I get another person. You to just do it's dopey. just sad, long years of. Hanging on by your fingernails. Well, my relapse. <laughs> That's your relapse. No, no, my relapse would look like this: uh, I would lose my family, which would be terrible, and then I would find a room someplace and uh, I'd get some dope. I'd get a TV and I'd some watch Ben and Jerry's. Yeah, no, you get some chocolate chocolate chip. Yeah, I get some chocolate chocolate chip, some vanilla chocolate chip. I'd get a bunch of dope and I'd watch a lot of TV. That's my relapse. Yeah, and then years, just the calendar pages just flip by. The seasons change, <laughs> but nothing else changes. Or I could die. Oh, yeah, I could die. You know, I could run and I'll lose my job. But you and, then get... I won't, and then how do I pay for that room in that Ben and Jerry's? No, but you seem to maintain your work. I don't know if I can maintain this work like that. Just listen. I, I do not foresee a relapse uh, coming for me. Yeah, me neither. I really, really... I, you know what the truth is, though? Like, I really don't now. My bones are just, like... The, my lifestyle is not conducive to using... I mean, it's conducive to longevity and being clean and sober, and I like it, and I've built value. But even when I hadn't done those things, I never thought I was going to relapse. Every time I would get sober and, like... And I'd actually be like, oh, I'm going to stop and just being abstinent, which wasn't a lot, but I really felt it. I was like, I'm just no way I'm going to use. And then all of a sudden... After three days to three months, it just turns on a dime all of a sudden. But there's a pivot. That's the willpower when I'm stopping on my own will. Right. When you're not when you're not going to meetings and you're not doing program based stuff. I'm just like I gotta do it, I'm hurting people. <laughs> what? 
I feel like I'm hurting people. I need to get clean for. But no, but last time you relapsed, you were in the program, and then you no, stopped going I to stopped meetings. Stopped going to meetings. But then were you? But the question is this, and don't give me your fucking hackney answer. Try yeah. to find some real answer. Um, when you pivoted from going to meetings to relapsing. Was it like fucking? I don't want to go to meetings anymore. Was that no, a thing? No, it was never that. It was. Well, it's like I just stopped going to meetings. So all I was doing was working and hanging out with my girlfriend. And, oh. Yeah, and then I. Um, what are you doing these days? Meetings, sponsoring people, talking to my sponsor. What are you mostly commitments. doing? What are you mostly doing? Just <laughs> uh, name me the top two things you do. <laughs> I go to school and I hang out with my girlfriend. <laughs> yes, but also the the job I had last time was working in the treatment field and confiscating drugs and being around people who are constantly using. So I think I used that clip on a, on another Chris tribute, but it's powerful. And uh, it is four years now. It's four and a half years now since we had that conversation. And Anybody can spend four and a half years in so many different ways. You can get a degree. You can go to prison. Uh, Susan is fucking four years old. Like so many things can happen in four and a half years. And Chris didn't get to experience it. I was reading on Dopey Nation. Like uh, there's a great, there's a lot of great dopes on Dopey Nation. And one great dope on Dopey Nation named Chelsea Wexler posted that she was going to start listening to the show from the beginning again. And she alluded to how Chris didn't mind if I interrupted him. And I appreciated that from Chris and I appreciated that from Chelsea. And, uh, you know, I don't listen to the old episodes a lot because it's weird and it's painful, but, uh, I've been listening to a lot of them and hearing how much I interrupt is just, uh, it hurts. It hurts like as a cringy thing. Like I wish I made a different decision as a podcaster, but it also hurts because I'll never hear what he was going to say. So, um, you know, that's just one of those things. Now I'm not really angry at myself because when we did those shows, I had five months clean and I had just started making dopey and I didn't really know how not to interrupt him. And I was so excited to say the next thing. And I was so self-centered to be funny and all that shit that that's just the way it went down. And obviously there's nothing I can do about it, but, uh, but I wish I had heard, uh, what he was going to say instead of interrupting him, especially now that I'll never hear it. We're going to do a big Bonanza Chris clip episode for Christmas, which is coming up. August 16th is Christmas. It's also Dopey Day. We want you guys to celebrate in the traditional Dopey Day tradition of putting the Dopey logo over your eyes on social media. I want there to be Dopey murals again. We're going to try to get more, which means I have to start doing the work. If you're an artist and you're willing to get out there and do some Dopey art, do it. Get in touch with me. The Dopey Street Team is reforming, so look out for that. The Dopey Street Team needs you. And uh, because we lost Chris to relapse, I think talking about relapse is important. And we had uh, a very, very, very important member of the Dopey Nation just relapse. Of course, you guys remember, I played two fucking episodes last week of Ryan Leone's uh, 
many, many relapses because he just died. But I know you guys know this guest. His name is DJ. He was on the show in the very beginning with Chris. He was on the show many times. He got one of the first uh, scholarships from Aloe, which is now called Oro. And um, he relapsed and he called in to tell the story. But before you hear from DJ or Don or whatever you want to call him, it gets very confusing. I call him Don. He calls himself DJ, which means I'm not a great friend or a listener. But before we get to DJ's harrowing tale of uh, relapse and ultimately recovery, I just want to mention that this episode of Dopey is brought to you by our sponsor, BetterHelp. There's so many different things you guys can do for your recovery. One of the things that I do for my recovery is online therapy. It helps me take care of my brain. It helps me take care of my life. If I can't take care of my mind, then uh, I'm fucked, frankly. I've had great experience with online therapy. It's a chance for me. I'm so disorganized. It's a chance for me to unravel my thoughts, unravel my brain, be able to be forthcoming with another person that is dedicated to listening to me. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat only therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you could be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Dopey listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash dopey podcast if you're willing to get therapy go to betterhelp.com get the 10 percent off therapy makes you feel good makes me feel good all these different things help in recovery therapy is one of them it's better com slash dopey podcast check them out and here's don or dj or whatever you want to call him but one more disclaimer it's like old school dopey because don is like He's talking to me on the phone, like on a corner in LA, and there's like fucking sirens and horns and all this bullshit. And then like after the interview was over, we we didn't finish it and we finished it today. And uh and I recorded it with the air conditioning on in my office. So just know that there's gonna be a lot of old school dopey sounds on this segment with dear old dopey Don. But he doesn't like to be called dopey Don. So just Don. All right, so I'm on the phone with a very, very important dopey guest. He's been on the show many times. He was on the show with Chris back in the day. He stole a thousand Vicodins. Whenever anybody lists their favorite dopey episodes, you know your name is often bandied about as favorite dopey guests, DJ. Wow, wow. You just called me very, very important and favorite dopey guests. I feel really, I feel really good. I feel special. Well, this is working out I well. Appreciate that. that That's good. But, but I mean, obviously the reason I asked DJ to come on this show is because of a terrible thing that happened in his life. And like when we're doing these Chris tributes, it's very hard for me to figure out like what we should be doing, but Chris relapsed and he died and we all have dealt with the fallout from his death. I, I had a million relapses. DJ, you had a million relapses and you had one recently. And I, I want you to share the story with the Dopey Nation because you knew that you could have died very, very easily from this last relapse. We talked about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, first of all, I just want to acknowledge Chris, you know, the fourth anniversary of his death and, and what an amazing person he was. And 
you know, going back and, and listening to some of those old dopey episodes, like the thoughts about David, it's like it's just so it's like so eerie because he becomes alive again for those short time it's just it's just so tragic that that he's not with us anymore his legacy continues on through dopey which is amazing that you know you've kept things going and done as well as well as you have with it and and yeah in that context it's really it is really scary he died when, you know after relapse and i i just relapsed after a little bit of time sober and very easily could have died you know probably should have died so yeah it's really yeah it's a serious issue. I don't think you yeah. should have died. You know, I think it's amazing that you didn't die. We're all going to die at some point. I think it's great that you didn't die. What I want to do is I, I think there is some usefulness for people in recovery or people not in recovery, people using to hear like the, the aerial view, the mapped out relapse, like where does it yeah. start? And, and, and what are the iterations before it's out of control? Like, I think that's a useful thing to yeah, talk absolutely. about for Dopey. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'd be happy to sort of share, you know, to kind of break it down because I've, I've, I've broken it down myself. You know, I did so in rehab. I've done so with, with my ex-girlfriend and my mom. It's like, because, uh, yeah, everything was going really well. I had almost two years sober and the first year of which I, I basically – did AA like as my as my vocation was COVID and being on unemployment sort of afforded me the ability to, to just go to meetings and work recovery and, and trade crypto a little bit. But uh, but yeah, moved out to California and went to treatment per the Dopey Scholarship through Aloe, which was like an incredible experience, and I was so grateful to to be able to do. And and then shortly thereafter, like start working for the show, which has been which has been awesome. And Here, it's been an honor. It's been, but here it's been there. mostly there <laughs> but recently, but, but yeah, with, I'm going to, I'm going to start working on it a little bit more. It's tough, man, that, you know, our audiences, the dopey audience don't like to, they don't like to buy anything. I know. So it's, it's, I know. It's, it's tough. It's dopey, a- dopey nation. You got to start buying some of the, some of the things that are advertised. So be sponsors. Yeah. They're all one and done. That's <laughs> Not a, to blame the dopey audience. You can blame them. The dopey audience knows they're cheap. They didn't buy enough cookie dough. They didn't buy enough Grady's iced coffee or whatever else we, we, we threw in front of them. But yeah. let me ask you this though. It, it's like, I, I think we talked about your Kratom or do you pronounce it Kratom or Kratom? Kratom. Your Kratom slip up in rehab. I think we talked about it the last time you were on the show, right? We did. Yeah. Or we a couple of times ago. We, we definitely talked about it at some point. So what I want to know is like, when I add up your, your, your relapse story, I feel like that was significant because after the Kratom, you had to go on the Suboxone. Right. Right. So essentially, my recovery was not built on uh, solid ground in that when I went on Suboxone, I, I wasn't honest with everybody. Like Dave didn't know that I was on Suboxone. I, I, I definitely didn't mention it. So like, to the Dopey Nation when I was on before, which I didn't lie about it, but I just I didn't mention it. I felt ashamed, which which no one on Suboxone should feel ashamed. I mean, I'm I'm on it now. I just got the first I got the sublocate shot, so I don't have to take the take it every day. It's just it's a shot. It's once a month, and I made that choice because it's you know it it acts as a buffer. And some people will say like it's not really sober, which 
is fine. You know, it's fine for, for everyone to have their own opinion. It's, it's, it worked for me before, I guess, until it did. But I feel like for me, it's, it's the best, it's the best choice. I mean, the plan is to be on it six months. And then, and then the cool thing about the shot is you do it for six months and then you just stop it and it'll, it'll slowly sort of fizzle out of your body and you don't go to the jaws. You just like be done with it after six months. Let me ask anyway, you, let me ask you something real quick. When people yeah. talk shit about Suboxone or when like these, the, the mean people say it's not sober or it's like, it's bandied about that Suboxone isn't sober. Like how much does it affect you? It doesn't affect me at all. anymore. I, I just like choose not to sort of like respond to it. I mean, I still laugh at those memes because I think there's also like, there's varying levels of, of being on Suboxone. You know, I think that if you are taking like everybody has different dosages. I don't know what, you know, people out there are on, but I think there's a way to take it like the right way and the wrong way, you know, because it can definitely be abused if it takes too much. And I think that, you know, I take eight milligrams a day, which I feel like is enough where I feel protected from, you know, because buprenorphine will, will block any, any opiates and, and one will not feel the effects. So I feel protected and it doesn't affect me. It doesn't alter my mood at all. Like I, I can't tell that I have even taken. So to answer your question, it, it really doesn't bother me. And I think at least out here in LA, the stigma is sort of shifting and right. it's becoming more acceptable. I think the, the sort of alt recovery movement in that, like there's people at my Silver Lake meeting that will talk about like smoking weed, you know, like being on marijuana maintenance, like, openly in an AA meeting, which like some places, you know, they'd be like right. kicked out of the meeting right. and like, you know, flogged. Yeah. Um, flogged. Yeah. Mercilessly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And told them to come back. But, but out here it's just, it's a little bit more accepting, which I think is good because I think people are, are in varying places and like for somebody like me who's been on opiates pretty consistently for the last 17 years, like my body is just, it just, that's all it knows, you know? And so I just feel like it's a safer option, whether it's the right option or not, I don't know, but I'm choosing to believe it's the right option for me right now because it's working. And again, like it works for, it works for a while. It works for, it worked for almost two years. And then essentially my, my priorities shifted. I'll kind of like go into the, before, sort of the before you do, before you do, let me ask yeah. you one more question. Cause maybe like my first question is off base. Like maybe the, the, the Kratom was like relapsy in the very first place, but maybe the Suboxone yeah. wasn't, I guess it inhibits. I think shit like that inhibits recovery. Like you said, based on dishonesty, like, yeah. I think it's it's positive when people are in meetings saying they're on marijuana maintenance because they're not keeping secrets. And secrets right. in general are 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 just dangerous for addicts because you tend to be able to keep more things secret. Exactly. Yeah, the secrets keep us sick and it's it's absolutely true. Like in my life if I'm being dishonest about one thing, I'm I tend to be dishonest about it it's it's easier for me to be dishonest about other things, you know, because I'm already feeling kind of shady. And uh, yeah, so now that I'm being honest about it, I feel a lot better about it. But I, I think that part of my relapse was maybe due to the initial dishonesty, potentially. I mean, you know, it's right. Possible. It doesn't necessarily help. So what happened? Well, how, tell us about your shift in priorities, please. 
So and before so before like, you do though, I like to pretend that I'm always honest, but I need to tell on myself right now. We went to this music festival, and I said that that uh, my kids were all under ten, which they weren't. I lied about Nora and her friend. I said they they were both twelve, and I told them they were under ten, so I went to pay for them anyway. Yeah, well, you're you're being honest about it now, you know. And I think that's that's the important part. Like it. If we are dishonest, which we tend to be because we're human, the important part is getting honest with someone. And you've always said that, Dave, like it's just important to have at least one person you can be totally honest with, even if you can't be honest with everybody. Right. To keep track of the truth. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And hopefully that person's a sponsor. But if it's not, it can just be someone, you know, that you're being totally honest with. And and then hopefully that will encourage you to be, it's easier to be honest with others, you know more people than once you've gotten it out. And it's also because you're honest with yourself. So you're honest with yourself. So, you know, because it's easy to start believing some weird shit that isn't true. Yeah, absolutely. We can live in a total like fantasy land or I know I can. I can too. Once I say one thing that isn't true, it's like, you know, it's easy to, to rest your laurels on this thing. And then you forget that it was a lie because you tell everybody it's the truth. Now let's get into the, let's get into what happened. What, what the fuck happened? Well, so you just mentioned being honest with, with oneself. That was, that played into all this, but sort of before that happened, like I mentioned, you know, the first like year of my recovery, I was, I did, I went to LA and then I was in sober living and, and my life was essentially recovery. I moved out to LA and didn't know anybody. And so everyone that I met was, was in the program. All my friends were in the program. I sort of built this life up on the bedrock of AA, which was, which was fabulous because it worked. It worked for me. And I had, the, I had the luxury of being able to do it because of COVID and because of unemployment. And, and then eventually unemployment ran out. This was like last, I don't know, last, maybe last September. So maybe like a little less than a year ago. And I had to get a job, you know, and like I hadn't worked in a while. And so like... That was a process. And, but because I was sober, I was able to land a pretty good job, a remote position doing, doing sales. And, uh, and at the same time that I, that, that I got that job, I also got into a relationship. So I had like, I had dated here and there before this relationship, but nothing substantial because I didn't, I didn't really feel like I was like, I was ready to, to date because I still had work to do on myself and, and all that. And so it was, it was actually Christmas day of last year that I grew on Tinder connected with this girl named Becca. And, and we sort of hit it off. And from that day forward, we were like, you know, talking all the time. And, and, and then I started the job on January 3rd. So I had this new job and this new girlfriend, um, you know, who's like beautiful and amazing. Like I only, was able to attract her into my life because I had been sober and like right. and done some work. And same with the job. The only reason I was able to do the job was because I was consistent and could show up and all the things that recovery taught that I like frankly didn't know how to do. So so taking on these two things at the same time was was I think looking back was a little problematic because I automatically put AA on the back burner. By by that time I had about a year and a half and like because of the time I was spending working, which, which like the first couple of months, I would literally work, I would start at like 8 a.m. and I would work until like 6 or 7 p.m. every night, just because like I was, I think that as like, 
addicts and alcoholics, we have the ability to to be really effective. And and my sponsor always says it like we're, we're driven but undisciplined. And so I was just like working my ass off. And, and when I wasn't working, I was like talking to Becca. And so recovery just kind of went by the wayside. And uh, as time went on, like it was it wasn't a problem. Like things were still going okay. But I was, you know, as they say, like the disease is doing push-ups while we're sober. And I think that that's sort of what was happening. So fast forward to like May and I'd been at the, or to April and I'd been at the job for four months and I'd been in the relationship for four months and we were wanting to spend more time together. And so it was decided that I was going to move back to Detroit, Right. which, you know, I, I really wasn't worried at all about the fact that I had used drugs there on and off for like 15 years. It just like didn't occur to me. And I think that maybe goes to show where my head was at. Like right. I didn't, I, I didn't have the level of awareness that I, that I should have had. And so, so it was decided that I was going to move back. And also as far as the being honest with oneself, you know, like I, I had been subletting this apartment in West Hollywood, which is a place that I had, had wanted to live, you know, had like sort of, even sort of like manifested, like when I was living in a sober house in North Hollywood, I was, I would like look at apartments and, and see that I couldn't afford them, but like want so badly to be there. And it turned out like through the program, I got connected with this guy who was going to New York and, and had to sublet his place. And so I was able to get this great apartment. And so the reason that's relevant is because I really didn't want to leave LA. Like I really, I really liked it here. I loved my apartment. I loved my, you know, my, my friends. I loved my life. And I sort of convinced myself that I was okay with it. And it wasn't until I actually literally was back in Detroit, having like moved all my, you know, shipped all my stuff back and come out like help me, help me pack everything up that I really realized that like maybe I'd made the wrong decision. And at that same time, I had made some changes with my antidepressant medication and, and, and basically went off of one of them. And so I was like, especially depressed being back in Detroit in April, it was like really gray and cold. And I was used to like 70 and sunny every day right. to ride my bike and et cetera, et cetera. And I think that the, the pressures of like being in a newer relationship, like living in a one bedroom apartment, her adjusting, me adjusting, it was just a lot. And then trying to manage the job. So basically because AA hadn't been a priority, I hadn't really been talking to my sponsor. I wasn't connected in the way that I now am, where I, I like regularly reach out to people. So basically I had like isolated myself by putting work in this relationship ahead of my program, which like it's it's a common saying that like anything the first anything you put you know ahead of your program, you're gonna lose. So the first thing you put in front of your program is the first thing you lose. And I thought that I was, you know, I, I was aware of that, but I thought that I was like, you know, protected against that because I'm special or whatever the fuck. Like I'd been sober long enough to where I knew better. You and could basically pull it off. like yeah. yeah, I thought I could pull it off. And so long story short. One day I had been in Detroit. I was actually at a meeting. I, I would go to the 7 a.m. meeting in Gross Point, which was like 15 minutes from where Becca lived, downtown Detroit. And I was driving back to her apartment. And on the way back, I would have to pass by this old dope spot that I had gone to on and off for a decade and was like really close you know, like good friends with, with the drug dealer there. And, 
it became suddenly a good idea in my head, like all of a sudden to drive by to just sort of like see what was happening. Because I was like, I was, I hadn't been by there in a couple of years and I was like, I wonder if he still owns the house. Like, I don't know. You're I just all of a sudden, you're sudden. thinking all of a sudden many, many stupid things. Like those things like, oh yeah, he'll be happy to see me. And I wonder how he's doing. And, but let me ask you this. Hadn't you started drinking casually in LA with Becca? Yeah, so that I guess that's something that I like overlooked here and forgot to mention. I have historically used like heroin and crack, like those are my drugs of choice. And drinking it was never like a big part of my story. Like it never seemed to be a problem. And so yeah, I started this relationship and like we would go out to dinner and stuff like that. And Becca was really cool. Like we would we would have non-alcoholic drinks and then like but I had shared with her that I had this this idea in my head that I could drink it socially, you know, like, right. and part of that was because my sister who actually just yesterday had nine years off of heroin. She just recently last year started drinking socially again. Like she reintroduced alcohol in her life and it's been fine. Like it hasn't been a problem for her at all. And so that was part of right. part of it too. I, that's why I thought I could get away with it as well. So what 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 I decided to do, and I sort of convinced Becca was all right, was that you know on special occasions I would have a couple drinks. And what happened was like just going out to dinner became a special occasion. Sure, <laughs> you know, like, and so I was drinking like fairly regularly. You know, like I'd say maybe a couple times a week, and it never got out of control. But I was starting to do it more. So. Yes. Yeah, so by the time I made the decision to like go drive by this house, I had been drinking for, for a couple you months. You had broken the seal. I, it's like you and I have a lot of similarities. You know, like alcohol was never my thing. It was never your thing. You know, we were both heroin addicts. I didn't smoke as much crack as you or shoot as much coke as you, whatever. But we both got sober in AA and alcohol was never the thing, right? So it's like, you're, you're having a drink and it's like, but that wasn't really my thing. So like right. how, I mean, I think that's just an interesting thing in itself. Like if alcohol isn't your thing, but do you find that when you broke the seal, it changed the way your sobriety was running? Yeah, it, it absolutely did. And I think part of wanting to drink again, this desire was wanting to be like normal. Right. Like I was because like I had gotten this job and this girl and like consistency in my life and like money in my pocket, I was now starting to identify more as like a regular person or a normie. And I didn't realize how much I was sort of craving that. Like as much as I love being in the program, it's like it's like you you know, I feel different. Like being an AA, I feel like I'm not a regular person. Right. And I think that I was craving that. And so part of Especially because Becca like, Becca was regular. She was normal. Yeah. Yep. She's a normie. And, and she was like amazing. I mean, she's totally understanding and like, and, and was actually against me first. I had to, I really had to convince her. Yes. It absolutely broke the seal. And what it did was it made it so that I, in my head, I couldn't be honest at meetings. So I was still going. Right. To well, and it's so that, like, it's I that thing. Share, share it's the thing we were talking about. It's, it's, it's this lie or this omission, or it's a lie, you know, you, cause like you're also celebrating cause that's the irony of it. You're a heroin addict. You haven't done heroin in, in two years, but you're drinking right. in AA and saying you're sober. So it's like, that's, right. it fucks you up. You know, it's like, yeah. 
Oh my God. Yeah. I have, I have a sponsee right now who is a terrible drug addict and he's, he's young and he wants to drink like a normal person, you know, okay. and, and he's drinking like a normal person now. And, and, okay. there, and there's nothing I, I tell, I told him your story. So continue, continue, please. You know, good luck to him. Like, I hope it, I hope it works out. And I mean that, but for, for me, because AA had become, or just was such a big part of my life and my process of being honest in my, just my life process, I was going to meetings and they weren't having the effect that they once had because I wasn't able to be honest. I felt like a phony. I felt like a fraud. And that I believe it was that because the morning that I went by the dope house, I had been at a a. 7am meeting and I believe that part of what like, push those thoughts into my head to go by there was because when I left that meeting, I was thinking in my head, I, I probably shouldn't go to these meetings anymore because they're pointless because I can't be honest. And I feel like, right. like that was my thinking. And right. so I think in my head, I had sort of like, I was sort of, I was capitulating on the program and I didn't realize like what effect that would have on my life. And so yeah, it put those thoughts into my head. I decided I was going to like drive by and see what was going on. And, and, and I convinced myself that I wasn't going to go and cop. I was just literally going to drive by. And when I drove by, you know, my heart started like beating and racing. It was like, you know, it, and it, it almost felt like I was just going, like I was kind of going into autopilot. So I, I'm driving by and the house is like on the corner. And as I'm driving by or as I'm approaching the house, dude is his name is in red is literally walking out of his house to get into his escalade that i like helped pay for you right. know for my habits over the years and i'm like looking at him and he like you know he's looking at this car driving by real slow and we like make eye contact and he smiles and i like just stop the car and get out and go and talk to him and still at that point, like, wasn't thinking, okay, I'm going to cop. But after like two minutes of bullshitting, he was like, you know, I got that fire, you know? And I was like, you have girl too. And he said, yeah. So, he, you know, he had crack and heroin and I was like, and it was on, you know? And Did you hug him when you saw him? I gave him like the bro handshake and, and hug. Right, sort right, right. Of okay. Situation. okay. Okay. Uh, but he was definitely happy to see me because of like- course. I've spent so much fucking money there. It's like when I say I help pay for Escalade, like there's been periods when I was using, like before I went to Aloe, for instance, where, you know, I was giving him, you know, $140 a day for like months on end. Right. Sometimes even more than that. Anyways, so, so I decided that I was going to use, and but I made the decision right then that I wasn't going to inject. I was just going to smoke it that was somehow better. Like that wasn't like, it didn't feel like a full relapse somehow. Or I don't know what the fuck I thought, but fentanyl being the way that it is, I, you know, I, I didn't want to die. So I decided I was going to smoke it. And so that's what I did. And uh, I used that first morning and I don't even really remember exactly. It just felt, it felt foreign. You know what I mean? Like in times in the past when I relapsed, like I'll go back and, you know, like, and, and start using again it'll be like okay it'll be like muscle memory it's like yeah this is right this is what i do but this time it felt fucking foreign what did and, it feel uh, like it felt weird it just it felt like i sh like i shouldn't be doing this right like, that's what was going through my head like i shouldn't be doing this but somehow in some sick way 
like that was exciting that I was sort of like defying what I should be doing. I don't fucking know, man. It was, I was just not in a good place. It's so complicated. It's so complicated because you know, you're doing the wrong thing. You're excited to do the wrong thing. You get all those like crazy, you know, chemical rewards from getting high at the same time you've been working a program for years. So you're feeling like shit. It's like, it's such a fucking like battle inside of you. It's horrible. Yeah, it is. It is, it is horrible. And, and like I said, I'd gone out in antidepressant. And so I was already just like super fucking depressed. And I think my like, you know, serotonin and dopamine and all that was like, was, was in, in, improper sort of like functionality anyways. And so like, you know, smoking crack and heroin like doesn't, it'll help that temporarily. But then when, when coming down from crack, it's like, you know, I, I'm sure it was probably even worse because my shit right. wasn't regulated. So, but now the difference was like, I'm not on my own doing this. I have a partner that I live with who has like allowed me to move in with her into her, you know, beautiful new apartment. And, and I felt, it felt fucked up. Like it was a moral dilemma, but I just sort of like justified it by thinking, well, I did it that one time. I'm not going to do it again. You know, which I've told myself a million times, like this, I'm going to just do it once. And how and soon, then, like, how soon after did you do it again? Like I managed to, I think, wait two days and then I did it again because I was going to that morning meeting pretty regularly. And like I said, when I, when I would leave that meeting, I would have to drive by the house, like not drive by it directly, but drive by right by where it is. And so on that fourth day or whatever, I think I just said I was going to the meeting and instead I just went and like sat in her car, you know, and was like smoking drugs. And, and this, this lasted for about three weeks, right? Where I'm, but, but after that, after that fourth day, it, it became, I think it became daily. And at that time I was on Suboxone and I stopped taking it, you right. know, obviously so that I could get high. And, Wait, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. The first time you got it, you were blocked. First time I got, it, I was blocked. Did you but smoke it anyway? Did you did you break the the vent, the the suboxone attachment of the receptor? I don't know if I broke it or not. I mean, I was like, I was feeling the crack eye for sure. Right. But it did it did knock me the fuck out. Like, right. I remember smoking it and then like literally falling out for like twenty minutes and coming to like like with my knees on the ground, and, and, you know, my head like on the couch, like I'd like fallen off the couch essentially and fallen out for like 20 minutes. So the very first time I did it, you know, I, I, I overdosed essentially because when you fall out, you're, you're overdosing. It's not like you're, you know, like you necessarily stop breathing, but it like knocks you the fuck out. And that's like, you know, that's what fentanyl does. And, and so, and that was happening like over the course of the next few weeks where I'd be like, either in her car or I'd be there at that house or the, the worst thing is I was like bringing it into her apartment and doing it in the, in the, with her, like in the bedroom right next to the bathroom, you know? And like, yeah. So she, she had convinced herself that like I was beyond, beyond relapse, you know, because of like all the stuff I had said to her and like what she was able to see. Like she, you were cured. She knew that, yeah, essentially, like it didn't occur to her that I could collapse is what she later told me. And that's part of the that's part of the reason how I was able to, like, 
be in the bathroom for like long periods of time. So this, this continued for like three weeks and I was like, you know, work was, was like going to hell because I was like falling out during the day. Like I had rented this office, you know, and I was like using at the office and just like not getting much, much work done. And, and after, after like three weeks, she started to catch on. Like she started to notice at times, like me, you know, I'd be on my computer working. She'd like come out and my head would be on the table. You know, like I was totally knocked out. Right. Or like the time in the bathroom, I think that started to get suspicious. One time she went in there and she said she could, she could smell smoke because like crack and, and fentanyl on tinfoil is like a very dis- distinct smell. You know, but I would always use like Febreze or whatever to, to mask it and whatever. So, so she, she started to, to realize that something was up. And when that happened, she actually, I think she called you. She did call I'm me. not mistaken. Terrible. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She yeah. told, well, she and, told me and, she had your, she had your, she had, she had gone into your jacket. She had checked your, your location. She had seen that you went by the the cop spot and then she found drugs in your pocket and took pictures of them and sent me the pictures of the drugs and i was like he's definitely using you know because she was like still unsure at that time or she didn't know what the drugs were she didn't know what anything was you know she was unsure i think she knew i think you know you don't want the person to be relapsing you don't want it to be true and you also kind of don't know what to do you know, cause yeah. she, she's like a medical professional and she doesn't want to be a sucker either. She wants to do right. the right thing. So she was calling me like, and I was trying to offer some sort of advice and I was just like, he's got to go to fucking treatment, you know? Right. I also right. talked to you and I was like, you got to go to fucking treatment, you know? Well, dude, that's what's crazy is that, well, so, so I'll get, I'll get to that real quick. So she confronted me, you know, I'm like, Blatantly high at the time she confronts me, and we had talked prior that if I ever were to use, like I had agreed that I would be honest with her, you know, and like I like knew that she knew, like just the look on her face when she confronted me, like I knew that, but I it just didn't occur to me that she had like found the drug, right? And and so I lied to her, you know, and I said that I wasn't using, and she like pulled the drugs out and showed me, and it was just like totally heartbreaking. She was heartbroken, and 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 it just in that moment I knew that everything had changed. Right, you know, like we up to that point we had had this really great relationship, and I, you know, I loved her. Like I loved her more than anything. And wanted to be with her more than anything. So like the fact that I risked this relationship and and inevitably lost it, right, broken up with. Her, like we're still talking, but you know, I I may never be able to get her back. Is like is is just beyond anything. Like. Because that, it just goes to show how powerful this shit is. Like the most important thing to me in the whole world, like I'm willing to, to sacrifice so that I can fucking get hot, you know? So, so she confronted me. She said, you need to go to detox. Like let's get you into detox. And at that point she was being like, she was being really cool. She was like, and she's, she's been cool the whole time, but like she got a little more stern this time than that. But, at that point, she's like, you need to go to detox. I talked to Dave. We called my sponsor. But I convinced her that I didn't need to go. Like, I convinced her that it hadn't been long enough. I had to so, Yeah, that's I, when, we, I, that's I, when I, you and I talked. You were like, I can do well, this. We, I, I can do this at home. Well, we talked the next day. So, so her and I had a conversation that night. 
And I was like definitely afraid of going to detox because I didn't want to miss work. I knew I'd have to miss work for a couple of days. And like that just was not an option to me at that time. And then, so I, I convinced myself that I was going to stop. I really did. I swear to God. And when I talked to you the next day, I had woken up and I had fuse and I was waiting. You know, I wanted to wait like 18 hours before I took the sub right. so that I didn't get sick. Yeah. And when I talked to you, I was literally outside of her apartment like trying to get fresh air, trying to occupy myself mm-hmm. so that I could wait to take the Suboxone. And, and you were telling me you should just go to detox and you were saying all, all that stuff. And I was, I was convinced that I didn't need to go. And so I made it like a couple more hours and then I, and then something just made me say, fuck it. I think I started to get sick, but it hadn't been long enough to take the sub. So I was right. like, fuck it. So I took an Uber and I went and cop and then I did the same thing the next day. And then the day after that, I used in the morning and it was the day before mother's day I used in the morning. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to use right now. And then I'm going to, I'm not going to use again. I'm going to pick a sub tomorrow morning. So we like went about our day and we like went shopping and stuff. And I started to feel sick and it's like, it's like nighttime. It's like midnight and I'm in bed with her and it's been like, I don't know, it's been like 14 hours and I'm starting to really feel sick. And I'm like, you know, starting to sweat and, you know, all the stuff. And, and, and I, and I sort of panicked and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to take a Suboxone, which like, if anybody's been through precipitated withdrawal, they know how fucked up it is. And anybody that doesn't know precipitated withdrawal is when you have opiates in your system, whether it's heroin or Vicodin or fentanyl or whatever, and you then take Suboxone, which is buprenorphine. What it does is it, it, the buprenorphine like goes up and, and kicks all of the opiate receptors, all the opiate molecules off of your receptors instantaneously. So you go into instant withdrawal. So you feel like all the withdrawal immediately. And I didn't want that to happen because I was like, that's the well, that's, that, that, that's what happened in the classic you and precipitated withdrawal, having the abscess removed before you went into aloe slash oro. Yes, right. At the hospital. There was another time when I went to precipitated withdrawal when I was coming off methadone and I was in treatment. I was in a treatment center and I they they I went into I went into precipitated withdrawal and I decided to leave treatment. So I AMA'd from treatment and I had come in with a bunch of clonopin that I had in this like vitamin, this bottle of vitamins. And when I when I got my stuff, like when I signed out, it took like hours because they had the pod. They don't want you to go. Yeah. And I, I get this bottle of vitamins, and all the quantum are gone. And Ugh. I fucking freaked out. But I knew that my mom had some, so I like got in my car, and I wound up crashing my car on the expressway on my way to my mom's house, Ugh. and like nearly totaled it, but somehow like made it to her house and got to the, cause when you're in precipitated withdrawal, the only, the only cure is benzos like, or you can do more heroin. It'll, it'll make you feel better. So anyways, I go into precipitated withdrawal and I start like tripping and I'm like, I can't be in bed next to her anymore. So I like go out to the main room and I'm pacing back and forth and I'm just in agony. It's like so fucking bad. The anxiety, the, just the, just all of it. Like I'm shaking uncontrollably having muscle spasms. So she had some tequila. I like downed a bunch of tequila. I ate like five weed gummies. And then she also had a bottle of Ativan that I got into. And I think I took like maybe six or seven of her Ativan. They were one milligram. So it's like a lot of Ativan. But it wasn't working. It wasn't hitting me. But, and then eventually I, I, I went unconscious. 
And then when I woke up the next day, we were supposed to go to my mom's house for Mother's Day, but I was still like in really bad shape. And so instead of going to my mom, she took me to the hospital. And I don't remember any of this. I was in a blackout. Mm. And uh, I get to the hospital and they're giving me like a bunch of IV Ativan and keeping me comfortable and whatever. And then they start giving me Suboxone. And so, so, and I'm going to, I'm getting to the end of the story shortly. No, this is gold. This is, this is gold. This is perfect for the Chris tribute episode because it's so crazy. It's such a Chris like story. Well, it gets, it gets better or worse. It gets, it gets worse. Yeah. It gets a lot more fucked up here in a second. So she takes me to the hospital and she's like sitting there with me, you know, all day long, like being amazing, like talking to the doctors, you know, she's a, she's a nurse. And, and, and and then the next morning she has to go to work. So she's going to leave me and she takes my clothes and my shoes and my phone. So I have like nothing and she's gone and I'm there by myself. And I'm still wait, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Why does she take all that stuff? So you won't leave. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm there by myself and like, I'm feeling really sick and the doctors are like talking to me about treatment. And I like even called the treatment center in Michigan and talked to them and they were like getting that all set up. But somewhere in there, I decide that like, I, I need to feel better right now. And so I decide that I'm going to leave and I'm going to go hot. Right. And this was like, you know, a rare relapse where I actually had money, you know, like I had actually just gotten paid. And so I I had plenty of money. That wasn't the issue, but I didn't have any fucking clothes and I didn't have a phone. But how could you get to the money? I I had my wallet. Okay. I tell them, I'm like, I'm like, you have to sign me out of here. Like I'm leaving, I'm, I'm going. And they're like, trying to talk me out of it. And I only vaguely remember this because they'd been giving me a bunch of adamant and I was like more or less in a blackout. I, I was like stern about it. I'm like, no, I'm leaving. I'm going. And so I only had my t-shirt and boxers. That's all that I had. And so they're like, well, here, at least take these, these hospital pants. So they gave me these like scrubs that weren't big enough. And so they, they didn't go all the way up. And they didn't have any pockets and they were like super tight. And uh, they were they were something, so I didn't have to leave the boxers. And they gave me hospital socks, right? And so I'm like, Matt, like, like it's on, like here we go. So I I get outside of the hospital, and mind you, this was like downtown Detroit, the hospital I was in, and my dope spot is on the east side of Detroit, which was like about 12 miles away from the hospital. Somehow I don't remember how, but I somehow got there. And I didn't have, I didn't have a phone, so I, I couldn't Uber. I somehow got it. I don't know if I got a cab or what I did, but I got there. And then I commenced to then spend the next like eight hours getting high, like getting high all day. And I'm in a blackout. And so I just remember like bits and pieces of it. And one of the things that I remember is I was trying to remember my girlfriend's phone number the whole time, because I think in my head, my plan was just to go and use like, you know, like just buy, I don't know, just buy, just go use for a little bit. Like if my intention was not to be getting high all day long, but I couldn't remember my, my girlfriend's phone number. Like she, like I, I had known it, but I couldn't remember it. And it didn't occur to me that I could call anybody else. Like for some reason, she was the only one that I could call. And I didn't have a phone anyways. But at one point I had asked the gas station to borrow their phone and I was trying to get in touch with her, but couldn't remember her number. Another time I remember being in the liquor store trying to get to the ATM and, and I, I guess I had ditched my, my pants because they were so small or whatever. 
So I remember just being in my boxers in a t-shirt and the guy behind the, the glass in the liquor store, like this is the East side of Detroit, you know, pretty ghetto. He's like screaming at me to get out of this fucking store. He's like, he's like, you can't be in here. Like you're, you know, this is like, this is crazy. And so there's this woman that I would see around the dope spot. She's like, a, she's a crackhead essentially. I am like walking out of the liquor store. She's walking in. And she's like, oh, I'll, you know, give me your debit card. I'll pull out money for you. And I was so fucked up that I gave her my debit card. And I later found out that she like, she pulled out like 200 for me and like 300 for herself. Right. But it didn't, I, I was just like so out of my mind. And so, yeah. And then I remember like being at the dope house and the, the my dealer like yelling at me because I'd been there for so long. And was like making a mess down in the basement. And he finally like gave me some pants. I'd lost the socks at this point, so I was barefoot. So eventually, like it gets dark, and like the drugs, I'm like smoking crack outside of this this fucking gas station, like by this by the freeway. And it like cleared me up enough to think like, okay, I have to like I have to call my people. Like it, I didn't realize that the gravity of, that, that I'd been missing all day and that I'd left the hospital it was just like okay, it's getting cold, like, I need to do something. Like, I can't be out all night. I called my brother. I thought I was calling my mom, but I called my brother. And he, like, yelled at me. He's like, where are you? And I told him. So, like, my family friend, like, drove up. He'd been out looking for me. And then, then my mom and my girlfriend came. And, like, the looks on their faces was just, like... Because you had no... You, had, you were out there in your underpants and your T-shirt and, and, and socks or no socks? No socks. I was barefoot, so I was all muddy and fucking. At this time, I had the drug dealer giving me some some pants, but I mean, I was barefoot, like, you know, and 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 all dirty and just like like I looked like a fucking wild animal, right? You know, because that's kind of what I was operating. On. It's just like getting high, you know, like the amount of crack and heroin I did. Like I wound up spending like three hundred dollars that day, three hundred of which you know were taken by this woman, but. Like five hundred dollars worth of drugs is a lot of drugs. Like, yeah, I'd already been on, and I'd already been on a ton of Ativan. And if I'm not mistaken, Chris is when Chris overdosed, he had benzos and fentanyl in the system, and that's probably what killed him. Yeah, he had he had everything in his system, and he had and, everything. And like, it seems like you did too. You know, I literally had when I went to treatment a couple of days later. I literally tested positive for everything but alcohol. Like nine different things, right? Which was, like, which was, was which even, was exactly what had happened to him. So yeah, and, and yeah, and, and so they, so they, they, uh, they, they meet up with me. They take me home. The next morning comes, and I still had a bunch of drugs on me. I convinced them to like let me do the drugs because I'm like I can't go into withdrawal. So I'm like smoking crack in my mom's fucking bathroom. Horrible. And then. And then, uh, and then Becca comes back over from work and she's like, you know, I found a treatment center. Are you willing to go? And I was like freaked out. You know, I was really scared of what had happened, what I had done. And I was just like, yes, like I'll go. And then the next day I was supposed to get on a flight at six in the morning, but I like refused to get on it because I wanted to get high some more. And so I wound up like doing drugs the rest of that day. And then I got on a flight that night. And wound up in Desert Hot Springs in California and was in treatment for 27 days. And then after that, I came out to back to L.A. And now I'm in a sober living in West Hollywood. And how are you feeling? You know, I I feel I feel good for the most part, I mean, especially like recounting everything that happened. Like, you know, lots gone down and 
since then, you know, like my my mother had a stroke a couple of weeks ago. Oh my, and God. Again, my brother's like, you know, had some stuff happen to him. I've like got laid off of my job. Becca, you know, broke up with me. So like a lot has gone down. Like a lot of bad shit has happened. But I can like sort of gratefully say that at no point has it seemed like a good idea to to pick up, you know, and I really feel like I don't know. I really feel like I'm done. Like I really, I just, and you know, who the fuck knows what's going to happen. But like, I, I know that just for today, like I know the actions to take to not, to not use, you know, and that's like, go to a meeting. That's all my sponsor. Like try and help somebody else out. Try and be a good person, you know, meditate, right? Like all that stuff they tell you to do. If I'm doing that, like there's a pretty good chance that I'm going to. Yeah. You're not going to so, die, die from this. You know what I mean? That you can have a decent, a decent time of it. You know, it's like all those things are the armor, like to make sure that you're not fucking barefoot, wild animal, muddy wreck. And, but listen, I mean, like, I'm happy you're back and I'm happy that you told this story. You know, it's, it's like, it's, it's what could have happened to Chris or you could have died like him. You know, either way. So any, any final words, Don, how much time you have now? I've got about, I think 64 days today. So how are you feeling? I feel, I feel pretty good for the most part. I think that definitely grateful to, to be alive and to have another shot at this, but it's early sobriety and it's not always easy to, <laughs> yeah. to feel, you know, I, I've been like avoiding feeling for 17 years. And so there's things that have come up and continue to come up that, that really sort of push me to spin out. And, you know, some of it's tied to like the relationship that I'm trying to trying to fix and family stuff. And, you know, it's triggering, as I'm sure people out there can, you know, can relate to. But I think the 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 key is, is just not picking up no matter what. Right. And and doing whatever you have to do to 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 stay sane and to to stay relatively happy. I think that as you know, as humans, as Americans, as whatever, we have this expectation that we should be happy all the time. And I know that was my expectation for a long time. It was either like I was happy or I was, you know, not good. I had a, and, I had a horrible rehab counselor who once said like, what do you have against feeling uncomfortable? And I was like, what? I was like, what do I not have against feeling uncomfortable? How much, yeah. do you, how angry are you at yourself? And how do you live with that? Like the guilt shame or just annoyance that you had to start over or is that not a thing and I shouldn't have even brought it up no no it's been it's been huge I would say it's just probably the last like maybe week or 10 days that I was able to move past that like when I wound up in treatment in desert hot springs like at, right after everything had happened I think I was at like my lowest point probably ever emotionally because it was like everything happened so quickly. Like I had, I had built this life. Things were, things were going really well. I had this relationship at this job and here I am again in treatment, withdrawing, you know, just feeling, feeling so angry with, with myself and resentful. And so it's taken some time to, to forgive myself. And I think that I, I you know, I definitely held on to it, but by, just through process of like of time and of doing like some of the work, like 
starting to do step work with my sponsor and meeting with a with a therapist and getting on you know the right medication you know allotment and and all that like it's been a it's been a number of things that have played into just sort of finally feeling okay with myself and right. yeah and like the self love and how we feel about ourselves i think is is pretty crucial and i i've realized that i've lacked that self-love for a, for a long, long time. And so that's something I'm trying to really work on as well. Don't beat yourself up. You know, I, I'm sitting here for the past week listening to old episodes, trying to like pull clips and, and, and just kind of to remember that Chris, what Chris was like, because my memory is weird after he died. And like, we yeah. all, he said so many things and then he didn't do the stuff. But the one thing that was very, 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 very clear was that when he died, he was not doing the same amount of work uh, for his recovery as when he was thriving. So that's the lesson that I take away that like you, you have to work as hard at your recovery as you do at anything if you want any results. And it's annoying to say it, and I'm sorry, Dopey Nation, for ha- you guys having to hear it, but it's the truth. The harder you work at your recovery, the better your recovery will be. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think that's not just like going to meetings. I think that's working with a sponsor and doing step work. It's it's going to therapy. It's having a hobby. It's being happy. It's riding your bike. It's seeing friends. It's doing anything so that you don't get caught in your fucking head. Yep. Yep. And you're, you're really good with that in, in reminding me, you know, there's been times over these last couple of months that I've called you and, and really been struggling and, and you're like, you know, fucking just do something, do anything, you know, watch TV, like whatever you have to do to, yeah, to just stay out of self. And that's really our biggest, biggest problem is ourselves is the bondage of self. And I think a great way to get out of that as well is, is being of service and trying to help others. And that's something I, I don't, I definitely don't do enough because I, I've felt like I don't have anything to offer, but my sponsor has brought it up to me that, you know, it's we're of service just by calling someone else, yes. by calling someone else and asking how their day is going. We're being of service because we're giving them the opportunity to get out of themselves and, and connect. And like you had Johan Hari on and, and he said that addiction is the opposite of connection. And it's, it's so it's so true when I'm disconnected and isolated, I'm, I'm in trouble. But when I can like, think of somebody else and, and just be busy and be engaged. And it doesn't have to be altruistic. You can do it selfishly. You can do it as yeah. a tool to feel better. And I, I recommend that really big, like call anybody, call me, call whoever, like, like ask a woman if you could carry her groceries or an old man, just you don't want to get too sexual about it, you know, like (laughs) fucking do whatever you can and don't do it to be a good person. Do it to keep yourself from feeling miserable because that shit adds up in a positive way. Yeah, no doubt. Do you have any thoughts, you know, and I appreciate you. Listen, you are a, a very important member of the dopey nation. You're very important on the dopey team. And I know that it's hard to tell this story to this group that heard all the shit that you've done. So when you reflect on that, like, what do you think? And also I appreciate it. Like I appreciate, like, I wasn't a no brainer that you were going to come on and tell this story. You didn't have to, you know, I appreciate it. I think it's fitting for this episode around the date of Chris's death that, that we have a story like this. But was it difficult? Like, do you have reservations? How are you feeling about it? No, I mean, it's it's always an honor to be on the show. And I appreciate you, 
you know, sort of acknowledging me. Dopey is, 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 and has been really important to me and, and my recovery. And I, I love the show and I'll, you know, I always will in the Dopey Nation and, and I'm not, I'm not quite as engaged as I have been in the past. I actually need to get sort of back into it a little bit more Dopey Facebook and all that, you know, yeah, it's, it hasn't been that difficult because I, I know that the Dopey Nation are folks just like me who are, you know, who are addicts. And this thing is not always linear. And I'm still like learning that. I'm grateful that I, that I didn't die. I think you're right. It's like the timing is, is so, is so perfect for, to, to have this conversation right on, right on the eve of Chris's, you know, death anniversary, because yeah, like our stories are very similar in that his life had gotten bigger, you know, and he was sort of putting things in front of his recovery. And that's exactly what I did. And it's, it's, you know, for anyone out there listening whose life has gotten better because they're sober, which happens, you know, pretty quickly, just remember to keep, to prioritize your recovery, to remember where you came from and just to stay in, stay in the steps and, you know, and, and stay connected because when we're, we're off doing our own thing and chasing money and chasing status or whatever. Not necessarily saying I was doing that, but just you were. We just, you, you, uh, wait, you did. You were doing that. <laughs> you were doing both of those things. But you were dating this girl, and and before I ever said anything, you said I just have to make sure she doesn't become my higher power. I never even heard anyone say that before. You said you that. Never heard that before. No, I never even heard it before. You said it, and then you did it. You know, and know. and now you're str- now you're struggling with that, and like there's no shame in it, but just remember that you have the solution. You know everything. Yeah, it's been a long fucking journey, and a lot of treatments and a lot of relapses. But yeah, I I'm grateful to now know what I need to do. It's just it's just about doing it, taking action, and as far as making you know my my. X, my higher power, it, it is still a struggle. I've sort of learned this time around that that love can be, you know, can be a drug, you know, and I actually went to a big time. Uh, you went to, to a slaw? To a slaw meeting. Slaw. Yeah. Can I get a cheeseburger with a little slaw on the side? <laughs> yeah. So it's good that there's like, there's programs for that as well because I'll treat. I have the ability to treat anything that makes me feel good as a drug and I'll abuse it if I'm not. If I'm not taking my medicine, which means like hitting a meeting regularly, calling a sponsor, doing some sort of writing, trying to pray, meditating, you know, meditating has, has been huge for me. Just all the stuff that you hear about. It's like if you actually do it, you can stay sober and life can be good. So you, you don't have to die. And and Chris was a, like a cautionary tale. And I'm, I'm sure that he's, he's saved a lot of lives by him dying, you know. I mean, I made that joke. I made that joke just after he died that, that he was like Jesus. Yeah. And, but it's, he's very, it's a very Christ-like situation, you know, not to mention that his name is Chris, but I don't want to get too crazy with that. I know my dad is like, doesn't want to hear about this stuff. And a lot of people don't want to hear me compare Chris with Jesus Christ. And that's the last I'm ever (laughs) going to say. I'm never going to say that again, but he did die. a lot funnier than Jesus. (laughs) I don't know. I heard Jesus had a lot of good shtick. I heard Jesus was quite, quite the funny guy. I've been listening yeah. to all these old episodes and like Chris talking about like when he, he went on the Vipassana retreat where he's explaining how to quell cravings or aversion, like so that you're just in the middle, 
you know, and that's what we need to be in is in the middle. And Chris, who had all this knowledge and all of these incredible, you know, attributes, it took him out and it can take anyone out because it doesn't matter how smart, funny, good looking, you know, Christ like you are. It is a fucking lethal chemical and you got off fucking lucky and so many people don't. And I don't say that wagging my finger at you. I say it. I'm glad you didn't die. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really hearing you when you say that and trying to really internalize what that means, because I think I've said it before. It's like nobody plans on dying right. when they overdose. Right. Exactly. And exactly. Yeah. And I've, I've used up like eight of my nine lives for sure. And so it's time to just like settle in, get comfortable with this recovery lifestyle. Like I'm in this sober living and it's like really strict and there's a lot of rules and I have to go to outpatient five nights a week for three hours at a time. Yeah. It's just, it's a lot, but, but my, you know, my ex has, has really sort of like encouraged me to really embrace it and also to, to stay grateful. And the other thing is like, you need to recognize it's not going to stay for, it's not going to be forever. It is, you're not going to be doing this forever. And next year, you know, you're going to be like, oh, that I needed to do that. And then the year it's just, you're going to build. It's, it's like when they say, I wish you a long and slow recovery. It's because you can have it, you know, and it, and it, and it builds, you know, nothing quick happens. It's all a slow, slow process. Relapse is fast. Dying is fast. But recovery is slow and it can be enjoyable. And you've enjoyed a ton of it. I know that. Yeah, absolutely. Recovery gives us the opportunity to be better people. Even though my sponsor always says it's not a self-help program. It's about becoming whole and it's about having a spiritual experience and, and, and connecting to a higher power. And there's a lot of the population that doesn't ever have that opportunity to be forced to look inside and, and grow spiritually. And once we've tapped into that, like it can be really magical. Like my world has opened up in so many ways and the coolest people I've ever met have been in, in program, you know, like just amazing people. And yeah, there's a lot to live for. I'm, I'm super grateful, you know, great to be on again. I'm going to go back and listen to some of those, some old episodes as well in, you know, in, in, the spirit of, of uh, celebrating Chris and uh, yeah, the, there's no one like him. He was a legend and I'm just really happy to see that like his legacy lives on through you and through the show as you do all the work that you do, which I appreciate. And, you know, I know the Dopey Nation appreciate. And, so, re- and recovery is also like fun. It's, you know, spirituality is yeah. great, but I, I mean, I, if I like spirituality, but spirituality is like a, a voucher so that I can have more fun. So I can be less angry so I can be less annoying. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a voucher so that my life is better. You know, I I mean, for me, like I I do it strictly for like very selfish reasons because I don't want to have a bad time. You know, I mean, I I got high because I wanted to have a good time and I didn't get sober to have a good time. I got sober to not die and to, to get, try to get my family back and to be able to see my kid, but I stay sober because it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I could definitely stand to, to have more fun and, and sort of focus on, on that a little bit more. It's something else I'm, I get reminded of. You should go fucking go find a place to build a snowman or ride a go-kart or something, have a snowball fight, play laser tag with the guys in the sober house. Snowball fight. I live in I Los know. Angeles. I'm just, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I remember when I was in a sober house in, in Florida, we would go play laser tag 
and eat ice okay. cream. And it was really fun. And it was like, I was, I was in my thirties. I think I was around, I think I was, no, I was in my twenties. I was in my late twenties, but we would play with like 50 year olds, you know, and it was a lot of fun. So I recommend going to play laser tag if they still do that. I like that. Okay. Yeah. I think those still exist. Go have fun. And thank you for coming on and telling your harrowing tale of surviving another relapse and don't have another relapse. Yeah, absolutely. Don't have another relapse just to come on dopey, but also, (laughs) also in the future, come on and tell some, you know, let's, let's carve out some dopey stories out of this last relapse so we can, we can have content based on your, on your misery, which is what we love to do. Absolutely, man. It'd be an honor. It's always an honor. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Dopey nation. Stay strong and toodles for Chris. So I think it's always important to have uh, these stories on the show, especially from people who have some recovery and some time and some knowledge. And, uh, you know, the old the old cliche, self-knowledge avails you nothing. And uh, the, the longer I go into my recovery, like... Just I'm doing so much work on it and I'm I'm just I'm doing it because it yields good results for me. I don't know if it destroys the show or not. Uh, I swear to God, I'm in this spot with the show uh, where I'm loving it. I'm loving making the show. I'm loving putting the shows together. I'm loving doing the interviews. And then for this show, I'm in this time warp and I'm listening to how we used to do it. And it's so much different and it's it's really funny, and I totally miss Chris. And I think with Don's story, you know, I'm going to say it one more time. He didn't have to live. And if you're out there fucking around, everyone's fucking dying, as you know. Now, I just want to insert some levity into this episode, so I'm going to play probably my favorite clip. I've played it before on the Dopey Clip Show's uh, on the remembering Chris shows, but I'll be, I'm going to be transparent with you. It's 11 o'clock at night. The show comes out tomorrow. I'm sitting in my office. It's probably 90 degrees listening to old dopies, listening for nuggets. And all I really want to hear is this one. So I'm going to play this one. And again, this is from one of my favorite episodes, dopey episode 135. Uh, we recorded it in this house before we moved in, Chris and I hadn't seen each other in a long time and uh, in person. And I wouldn't be surprised if he had started using around here, but it, it hadn't really caught on. So he was feeling it. This was at the very end of the episode. And we were talking about me trying to get mountainside recovery to advertise on Dopey. So I'm just going to play it. Like us on Facebook, like us on Twitter. Um, follow us on Reddit. Listen, I want you guys to do something. There's a bunch of things I want you guys to I do. Want, no, this is what we want you to do. We want you to tell your friends about Dopey. Yeah? And get them to start listening. Because we need to grow. We need we to grow. We need to grow. We also would really like it if you would get Artie to come on the we show. We would really like it if we could make a little bit of money doing this. You know, have some ads and stuff. And then, like, the way we do it is, like, I work, Dave works, I drive five hours. We're all fucking tired. It's the middle of the night. We're sweaty. If we made some money, we could get some a recording studio, drink some coffee, do it in the morning, you know? Maybe have Steven Tyler on. Something good, yeah. Listen, 
fucking get the money is going to go right into the show. Just so you know, that's all we get. Any little money we get, we put right into the show. We'll do whatever you guys fucking want. We need money. We need fame. No, but the way we need money. Huh? The way we need money is people tell their friends. We're not asking Patreon. We're not doing any of that shit. We don't want to ask you for things. We don't. We want Except really for, you know, reviews. reviews. <laughs> we want reviews. Yeah. We want follows. I still feel like all of our fucking social media numbers are paltry. When the one, We also had this other story that I think we should bust out before it's over, where the people at our rehab... Oh, Yeah. I don't even know how to tell that story. Uh, should we tell it for the next time? or No, just tell it. So we, Dave and I met at this place called Mountainside. Don't say the name unless they pay us. I just said it. We met at this place called Mountainside, and uh, they might do ads with us. And Dave had a call with the marketing fucking people, and they wanted uh, you know examples of ads, and all their examples suck. And they were very business-oriented. But if we had more followers... Well, they said. Well, they said. Well, how's your social media? Why didn't we tell you? You were there. You handled it. I didn't do anything. It was just so unappealing. It was so bad. Such a terrible call. You handled it bad. They're professional over there. They're suits. I don't know why I'm talking about this at all. You're definitely not going to do it if they listen. <laughs> oh, man. This is why we can't get advertisers. I think Mountainside is the best me. treatment center in the world. Give me 50 bucks, please. Send me some fucking cookies. We'll fucking talk about your fucking plate. This fucking, oh, my God. Well, I don't really know how to integrate a partnership between our You know what's company. so funny? They asked, <laughs> they, asked, they, asked, they, asked, they asked for examples of ads, right? And so I like listened to our last episode where we talked about the I Am Sober app or a couple episodes before. And literally I'm listening to the ad and I'm like, it's – I was like, it can calculate how much money you saved on drugs. Dave's like – I don't believe it. This thing is great. I'm like, have you ever used it? I'm like, you don't even know how it works. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't just count your days. Fucking idiot. That's what we do with every with every ad. You like take this nice attempt at the ad, and then I get upset that you're people pleasing for the advertisers when really all you're doing is actually advertising. Uh, it's like the Grateful Dead like tried to make records and they couldn't make records successfully. We can't do ads successfully. <laughs> what, what do you mean they couldn't like put a bunch of tracks together? It's like their 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 reputation was they were the best live band. Jam band but they mean. couldn't make a good record. Yeah. You know, and we're like that with ads. Yeah. All right, we need to wrap it up because I got to get on the road. Yeah, I'm going to be up all night with the baby. Yeah. All right, stay strong. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. And toodles. I think that's my favorite bit. That's definitely top five bits. Um, And I have to say, sitting in this room, listening to all this old Dopey, Chris is alive. He's alive in this room on my headphones right now, and it's very comforting. And uh, and later he won't be, and it'll be sad. But that's the beauty of Dopey. It preserves a uh, like him. 
It's his essence in the show. Go back and listen to the first 142 episodes. I know a lot of you guys do. He's there. He's living there. I wish there were other places that he was living so that his family could visit him, but dopey fans can always visit Chris in the first 142 episodes, and uh, and so can I. And it's, uh, it's bittersweet, to say the least. And uh, in honor of Chris, we, we circled back with his friend and his sponsor, Dylan, who's another dopey legend. Everybody loves Dylan. I always want to just talk to Dylan because he has such a solid uh, recovery program and he was such a fucked up drug addict. So, and, and I, he always had a good take on Chris and I, I want to finish this episode uh, with Dylan. So here we go. Here is Dylan. <laughs> All right. So it would not be a Chris anniversary of his death show if I didn't get his incredibly depraved and debaucherous sponsor, Dylan, on the show. Do you like that I called you debaucherous and depraved? I do. It feels like a throwback at this point because I feel so fucking boring, but yeah, that feels great. Thank you, Dave. Good to be here. What's up, Dopey? Dude, uh, every time you come on, you've always brought the straight-up debaucherousness. So, like, what (laughs) is it like to have... You have, what, 15 years, you said? Uh, yeah it'll be 15 in the fall god willing god willing god willing there's no ayahuasca ceremony between now and the fall (laughs) um but uh what's it like for you to have been as debaucherous a person and have so much time like how do you live those two lives at the same time now there's a way so it's a really complicated thing there's there's like certain amounts of shame that used to be around my drug use and the, like the behavior that like accompanied that a lot of that shame's gone. And now it's kind of like a little bit of a glory day stuff without necessarily wanting to revisit it. So being respectful and knowing that it's like tearing people apart right now, there's also like some hilarity, which has allowed me to cope with it. I think. And like also knowing that it's one of the greatest tools I have in like my in my path to recovery of helping other people is like relating on the debauchery. So it's like useful and hilarious and like tragic upon further introspection. But how much shame, how much shame did you, I mean, like I, I, I'm, I'm listening to all these old dopey episodes uh, for this week. Cause I'm going to play clips of Chris and mm. he always would talk about how, if he was at a meeting, he couldn't listen to somebody if they didn't shoot Coke drink a handle of fucking whatever, shoot dope and have experience with psychedelics. And then when he met you, he was like, all right, I can listen to this guy. Um, And I don't remember him feeling much shame around his drug use. And uh, man, it's so weird just to listen to him now, I have to say, in general. Because I don't listen to Dopey. You know what I'm saying? I don't listen to him and I listen to him and it, 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 it affects me. Dude, for sure. I haven't I haven't done that in a little bit. I'm probably overdue to listen to Chris. But what's interesting for you, I'm sure, is that like you've lived your life for four more years. You've kind of like matured, I'm sure, in some ways. And so you're <laughs> hopefully you're, I hope it's the hope. And so when you look back, you're listening to, to the Chris that you kind of had gotten sober with that was four years ago. And so like you and Chris were different people four years ago. And Chris is kind of like frozen in that moment. 
Exactly. So, That's so true. And it's also like I'm frozen in the moment when I listen to it. Um, when do you think you're, you had shame and when did the shame change? So the shame for me, like, thank God, I kept winding up in enough places where I was surrounded by people who, like, shot the same drugs or not, like, smoked the same weed, did all the same type of, like, drugs and drinking that I did, that I wasn't usually ashamed necessarily about the drug use or the drinking. It was more shameful about, like, one of the last times I ever saw my grandmother was to, like, scam her out of 20 bucks. Right. You know? It was like those, those like accompanying behaviors that supported the drug use were the things that I felt shameful about. Um, and I'm sure Chris like had some of that too. I think we all do to some extent, like no one wants to kind of behave in that way. Um, right. And, it's, and it is a process. Like he was, you know, he was stuck or we're, he is stuck at, he had four years when he died. So it's, yeah. it's interesting that it's four years since then. And he was, you right. know, he, he's stuck in that amber now of being this person with four years. And, and I, I think for me, it's this weird sort of lesson also, like we talked about it on the show and I heard it recently where he's like, if I stop going to meetings, if I stop working with people, if I stop doing all these things, uh, that's where I fucked up before. And that's obviously, uh, what happened to him. And, and I, I, I sometimes catch myself if I'm not doing X, Y, and Z, it's like, I get nervous. Like how, how, what's your program like? Dude, rightfully nervous. Um, <laughs> my, I'm streaky, dude. I go like, I end up traveling a fair amount for like work and other stuff. And, uh, and I go to a ton of meetings when I'm on the road, when I'm at home in my like hometown. I go to some meetings. I'm definitely not like a meeting a day guy anymore. No, me neither. Uh, although I am sometimes like when I catch a streak, I'll just like, for some reason, I'll just like show up at our local small town nooner every day. And like, no surprise. I usually feel amazing. I feel like a little streak of that, but for whatever reason, I kind of just like float away from it. I never disconnect from my people though. And from like certain little tiny kind of like anchor points I have in my life that remind me of who I was and that remind me of the life I want to be living. Um, which is like just the stuff I listen to, stuff I like watch. Like I try to like just be somehow integrated into like positive, interesting, uh, whether it be like spiritual or whatever, just like something positive and something, um, I don't know, something growth oriented. I'm just like, try to always be like a little bit tethered to and keep people around me that are the same way. Right. And, and you also started a sober living years ago and now you're, you're doing an intensive outpatient. And, uh, I mean, I talk to people all the time who do different work around recovery and they're always like, you got to separate the work from your own recovery. But it's like to be working in recovery, there is a benefit to it for your recovery. I would imagine. Yeah, it can be a double-edged sword because you can kind of like be getting paid to fulfill a certain role and it feels like you're doing service, which you are on some extent, right. but it's not like fully altruistic. Are you answering the sponsee phone call at 1230 a.m.? You know, I didn't answer a phone call yesterday. I was recording for this show like I was recording with, uh, you know, Ted's friend DJ. Yeah, I was recording with him. And, uh, and one of my sponsees called and I didn't answer and I forgot to call him back. So thank you for reminding me. Dude, I mean, it happens. That's a, it's like, if you feel off center, just course correct. But the point is like, am I making an effort to be available 
you know, it's like, and not always. Like, I do my, I, I really do try to stay in that track, but like, it can feel grueling sometimes, even though I like, un, like every time feel better after having been of service in some way. Well, Chris was in a little bit of that track, and like, there was a fantasy of Chris being the the resident psychologist or whatever in your business, right? Yeah. And yeah, I had like, that's why there, there was like as much, there was like a bunch of anger. Me too. As much as there was sorrow. Me too. I know we talked about this before. Did too. we? It's, like, I feel like I was fucking owed, and I know this isn't true, another 50, 60 years of Chris. Right. Like I really, he was, it's his, I'm like, it's not to disparage any other people that I've lost, but Chris was like especially important in ways that I'm still trying to figure out. Ex um, explain that some more. Meaning that like, I think, I think I resonated with Chris. And I think a lot of people did for reasons that are like still difficult to pinpoint. And I, maybe I'll try to like narrow that down, obviously. Um, Chris had a certain authenticity not to use a buzzword, but he had a certain, like, um, it could present itself as just hating on anything that was like trendier that everyone did, but there was a certain, um, he did what he wanted to do mm -hmm. aspect to himself. And I think that leads into perhaps his downfall, which I think he like dabbled a little bit into like, Oh, society thinks I should be this. So I'll just tick this box and then like quickly get back into like the living my own life box. And I think for someone like Chris, he couldn't afford to deviate from the like expressing who he was lane for too long. Right. Right. If he, if he, you know, the second the box was open, I mean, I hear about all these relapses and people survive, you know, like I, I've been talking to all these people and they're like, you know, smoking fentanyl and crack and, uh, and DJ just had this terrible relapse, which is what he was talking about on the show. And he survived, you know, and, and, and some other people that I know that get to survive and Chris didn't. And, uh, and it, it makes me fucking very miserable and angry. I got angry cause I felt like he left, you know, like, and I, yeah. I, I still have weird residual, thing about that but i mean lately when i'm listening to this when i've been preparing for this episode i feel like i miss him like i miss being yeah. with him like uh i miss like him just saying stupid things and how sweet he was and i think he connected with you uh not because of all the drugs that you did but because he was just he was a naturally curious person like his yeah. curiosity was magnetic to people who were curious you know, and I think that we, we all shared that kind of thing. Um, it fucking sucks, though. You know what I mean? It's like I can forget about it. You know, I, I think about it all the time. Obviously, I talk about him on a weekly basis, even if it's just saying stupid toodles. Um, and he built this thing that I'm so invested in. And he's like, uh, it's weird. Like I, I like I don't know. Some people were like, I shouldn't do these shows anymore like these the tribute the Chris show because we've done it to death. But like, I think it's important because he built this thing. So we need to acknowledge him. I think it needs to be acknowledged. You yeah. Know? And what, what prints like what principles or characteristics did Chris instill that are important to keep alive? Right. Well, what are they? I mean, what are principles? <laughs> Tell me what are principles. I, I mean, Tell me I don't know, ideas. 
concepts. So here's an example. So like when we talk, uh, when I was meaning like authenticity, yeah, and like kind of pushing against things, he had like this counterculture way about him, and I don't mean he wasn't just like emo. Fuck that. Like he he had certain judgments on, for instance, like the psychology therapy field, right? He didn't like judge the whole thing as being bad, but he had certain judgments on it. So he didn't just like say fuck that. He was on his way to getting a PhD and to do it differently. Right, right. That's fucking cool. I was I was just uh, before you called, I was like rereading our last text together. Um, speaking of emo and. Uh, and the last thing he sent me was something about how his teacher had been like, dude, you keep doing these assignments in like with the incorrect process. And it's not, it's, this is not at all what I asked for. That being said, it's really good. Right. A minus. Right. That's cl- and he, and, and he, Chris was like, he loved to show dead. that. He loved to show that to you too. Like he, 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 did. he wanted well, he you to be I proud of him. him. Right. Exactly. I love There's that. There's an element of both playing the game and changing the game. Right. And I think, I think it, it's very, very beautiful. Like the idea, like of what you thought of him and, and, and you know, the reason that he's so beloved is because that's who he was, you know? Yeah. Fucking as, and as his sponsor, like I was just mentioning to you before, like I, I, I just started sponsoring people maybe last year or something. And I have a few sponsees and, uh, and one of them is like, I can drink, you know, I'm normal. Like he wants to believe he's normal and it, it really bummed me out. Um, like it bummed me out because I couldn't do anything. You know, I, I, I what the fuck am I going to say to him? Um, yeah. How do you deal with it? Like if a sponsee goes out or how do you deal with this as a sponsor? They're probably all very different. I'm sure like it's, I think it's supernatural and it's not like a suggested way to deal with it is to feel like hyper guilty and kind of like replay what I could have done differently. No, that's not the I thing. I think that probably is just a, uh, like a normal a sort of, of yeah. caring about someone. Like right. I've also had people I didn't sponsor die who I felt that way about. Um, I also define sponsorship like pretty simply and specifically, which is to help somebody go through the process of the 12 steps. But and then hold like, on though. Hold on though. If mm-hmm. you do that, right. I was talking to somebody mm-hmm. else about this the other day. If you help somebody get through the 12 steps, you're not done with them though. Like what happens no. after that? No, after that, I think it's, it becomes like a maintenance thing where it's just checking in about like, how are you doing on basically 10, 11, 12? And for the first couple of years after you get through the steps, it's usually, or hopefully months, it's nine, 10, 11, 12. Right. And then it's just revisiting. And it also because like Chris in, in my relationship, there was zero hierarchy or like even a feeling of like, I think he'd probably get like, maybe say some stuff in the name of getting honest to his sponsor about like how he was feeling or what he was doing. But that was like, I was, I was like uh, an avatar for a person who's going to receive honesty. And it wasn't like, and maybe some feedback based on the history that we had together. Right, right. And it had morphed into this very, very, very true friendship anyway. Absolutely. As most do, as most like long-term sponsorship things do. And that doesn't need to happen either, by the way. It's totally fine for it to be 20 years of just like checking in. 
And like, in, I think it's important that there's a wide variety of sponsor sponsee relationships where some is going to be very clear about ticking boxes. Like, Hey, you thought about drinking. Have you been to meetings and you're putting your hand up to help people? Are you like working on your, your spiritual life? Like, cool. Awesome to take those boxes. Also awesome to like go on vacation to another country together. Like whatever. Right. I think, <clears throat> I think there's like no clear rules because there's so many different types of people. So just selfishly, what would you do? I'm sure you've had sponsees go out and, and, you know, not die, just stop doing a program. Yeah, I think as people, I mean, it's kind of an interesting sign when people are kind of upfront about their intention to go back out drinking. That's all. That's just like kind of different. Usually people just like disappear disappear right Right. like i definitely was a disappear guy right me too i was just like Um, i'm done i would be like my sponsee was like i i don't want to i don't think i want to do aa uh i i want to be normal and i I don't want to i mean he's a fucked up drug addict you know he was like fucking bad um and he's like i don't want to do drugs but i don't want to do aa and and i mean like how how much can i say well you're probably going to wind up if you drink, you're going to wind up doing coke. If you do coke, you're probably going to wind up smoking crack. Then you're going to be, you know, fighting, and then you're going to be dealing fucking fentanyl or whatever. You know, it's like, <laughs> but how much that. can you tell somebody that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you like. There's a reason why decades of NA experience with millions of people have led that organization to kind of clearly state that alcohol is a drug. Exactly. So you That's can take that I, route, but also you can't. As we know, like no one could have told you a sentence. 15 years before you were getting sober, you know, like there was no, there was no magic sentence, but the, so like, well, I guess what I would, what I try to do is just to be intentional about it. Be like, okay, so you're trying like, and what happens if it doesn't work? Like, what is your kind of recourse? Is there like a ripcord you can pull if this thing starts to get scary? Like, you know, just thinking about like, what have we talked about with the allergy, for instance, and yeah. like, what could those voices maybe look like? Like, what would be worrisome or not being, I don't know. I'm and would you, would you, no, no, no. I think that's really helpful. And like, would you check in? Like, do you think I should be checking in or I just like let it rock? Because like my instinct is to like bother him and like be like, what's going on? Like, and that's what I always do with people that I really care about. Like, and I get close to, I'm like, I become super annoying, but I haven't done that with him because I'm like, you know, like he should just fucking do his thing. And if he wants to come back, he can come back. And I, I told him I'm there either way is the thing, but it's, you know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's, yeah, dude. you don't want to see wanna be dogmatic about it. There's this interesting line, I think in the, in the big book, it talks about it's weird am i fucking breaching all kinds of uh traditions right now i don't know i don't think i don't don't think you said the two letters i don't think you said the two letters yeah i don't think i did either but in this big blue book it talks about like perhaps you've made a friend if things don't work out and like that's totally fine too i'm trying to think if i i definitely had people i knew from like abstinent-based recovery that like smoke weed that are okay this week at least that i'm in touch with and it's fine and like I'm not like asking them how they're doing all the time and what their intake quantity is, you know, but it's like, if I see like something interesting that reminds me of them, I'll like send it to them and be like, Hey, what's up, man? How you been? Right. Right. No, I get it. Like, but casual, you know, I'm not a fucking probation officer. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm going to, I'm just going to fucking be, you know, keep distance because I don't want to make anybody crazy. I mean, I make enough people crazy. I don't need to make, you know, uh, and also like, that's like not attraction promotion. That's just like, it's just annoying. 
<laughs> you know, it's annoying somebody to never come back, which I'm capable I get of. It. And there's also, I mean, like if you made it clear that like you care about this person and you want the best of them and you're there, then yeah. <clears throat> no, I feel, I feel, I feel comfortable in all of those things. I bet he knows you care. <laughs> no, I know, I know he knows, and, and we're cool. I just want, I just like, I appreciate your take on all this stuff, and I know that you miss Chris, and and I miss Chris, and Chris is very missed, um, for sure. And and but before we move on in the special, I want to talk about uh, psychedelics in recovery. Okay, you have fourteen mm. years. Have you take? Have you done a psychedelic uh, ritual yet? No, I've tried to breathe myself into like hallucinating, but that's about it. Have what's the close? <laughs> You've come to breathing <laughs> yourself into it. <laughs> there's like there's some pretty interesting breathing techniques that can get you. Uh, I don't know, man. That's always this is. I've been hesitant because my goal since I was like conscious enough to be able to make my own decisions has always been to fucking get the hell off this plane of existence. Yeah. So I'm always a little trepidatious when I'm like, oh, this block. I don't know, man. I'm watching these YouTube videos with these dudes with a lot of letters saying that like these certain conditions have been proven to be taken care of with certain chemical compounds that aren't addictive. Um, it's definitely enticing to me. Um, I haven't done it yet. Have you tried Kundalini breathing? Yes. I hear. There, have you ever seen the Woodstock documentary? No, I haven't actually. Oh, there's a great section in the Woodstock documentary where there's this hippie and he's like, when I do Kundalini, it's like a lightning bolt shoots down my spine. <laughs> and he's like, it's this great, you have to, I, I'll find you the clip. You have to see it. Um, yeah. So I, I talked to this guy who had 15 years and he's like a fucking, you know, he's a recovery professional guy and he's doing ayahuasca ceremonies. Like one of my best friends isn't in recovery and he's sending me like links to these like mushrooms for depression. And he's like, do you think I should eat mushrooms? for my depression and uh in washington square park now they're selling weed legally like on little lemonade stands and they have jars full of mushrooms and i walk past some dude like weighing out a quarter of mushrooms and giving it to a dude for 50 bucks in front of me and i'm and, and then i see on instagram people are taking like one mushroom like throwing it into a coffee grinder with coffee and then making coffee and I'm you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, like yeah. that's kind of like, I, I'm interested in all of those things. And, uh, of course you are, you know, like, and, and like, I would like to grow on a spiritual plane. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I would like to, I would like to do that. And, and like the dude, the dude, the dude who is in a recovery professional and did the ayahuasca thing, you know, he didn't, I was talking to him one time and he started letting it slip that he wished he could drink and smoke. <laughs> too you know and it's like i'm not i'm not judgmental like i would like yeah. to have a psychedelic experience and i feel like at some point i might be ready like what is your take when do you think you might be ready what do you think why aren't you doing it oh man so first off this is a super individual journey like yes. i really don't have a sweeping opinion on this i think my guidepost has been how intentional can I be about that decision? And what there was this old timer who used to say to me all the time, you know what the jaywalker's problem is? He takes shortcuts. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck. And so I kind of thought about that my whole recovery. Like, where am I taking shortcuts? That's almost always where I'm producing self-inflicted pain. Um, so, like, 
what am I unwilling to address? Like what problems and barriers exist in my life that I'm just like too scared to confront? And there are some that I'm trying to like blow through with the help of a weekend in Peru. Or now at this point, like a hotel in Manhattan, like you're saying. Right. Right. Like, so I, I'm having a hard time figuring out where my intention lies with that. And I haven't felt secure enough to be like, okay, I feel like I've done all the honest work I can. Um, and now it's and time I to take it to, to psychedelic overdrive. Do you know, yeah. do you know anybody with long-term recovery? Who's like, I'm in, I'm in the, the psychedelic world now and it's working in my recovery. So I know people who have done and are doing ketamine mushrooms. I know people who have done ayahuasca, um, pretty mixed bag of results. And not that I'm basing what I would do off this, but it's like more, I say stagnation or negative right. than anything. I think what I've seen the most is, uh, is like in a breakthrough moment that seems hard to carry out over months or years. So like, wow, I see it now. I saw that. I, I see this, this, I see through the veil. But then within two months, it's like, ah, I don't fucking know, man. The film is back and shit's weird. Well, I mean, like in my psychedelic experiences, when I've seen through the veil, the veil kind of comes back immediately. And, and you know that what's beyond the veil, right? But you don't, you don't see it as clearly, you know? And, and then like, I don't know, like I'm not doing it. Like I just know when I have these conversations, I know I get to that place. And for me, it's more like, if I tripped out, I would want to smoke pot. And then if I smoke pot, I would probably want to smoke pot every day. And then it, this is all over. And everything I have is just because of my recovery. That's it. Dude, I'm right with you, man. I'm really, yeah, I'm scared to wake that beast up. I'm scared to like back myself right. into a corner where like all of a sudden I feel like I need something to come down off that. Right, right. And, like I love nothing more than landing gear. Like I fucking just love landing gear. Mm -hmm. I love, I think shooting coke just so I can feel the coming down from like the other thing. Yeah, it's incredible. It's like the hot thing. Yeah. It's, just, it's like the best. No, I'm totally. It's the, it's the best and it's also fucking awful. Yeah, of course. I mean, it, it, it will ruin you and there is no best after that yeah. feeling. I mean, like honestly, and I don't need to be a, a recovery cheerleader, but like I'm not doing any of it because my life's never been close to as good as it is right now, which is only because of, of the work. That's it. You totally agree. And I, I also don't want to sound like a generic recovery cheerleader, but there's something I, I forget, which is that my baseline level of being when I was speedballing was so fucking low that like anything, I remember actually the, like the, the feeling of like about to be going into DTs and the, like the beginning to like vomit. I remember that being enjoyable because it was different than my other experiences. Right. Right. Then just like walking down the street sober was so horrendous that of course speedballing felt amazing. So like, I wonder if going from like generally peaceful and okay, like it wasn't even that great or was I just deviating from my norm so far because the norm is so bad. Anyway, Listen. Fucking, dude, I don't know. The last thing I say about the psychedelics is that I, I think I'd want to find a way after hearing so much. They're like, oh, wow. Really like seeing through the veil. But then it kind of comes back and you don't know how to get that again. Is like what could what systems could you set up to like incorporate real change, like both behavior and thinking patterns 
like almost right away. So I'd want to have like some like um, like six month, nine month plan to figure out like, okay, I'm having this experience. And then I'm like working with these people who I've identified as understanding this process in a way that can like carry that stuff out. So it's actually permanent. What kind of people do that work? Dude, I don't know. I think there's more and more therapists that are learning how to do it. I think there's, I think there's some like psychiatrists that actually know how that process should work. I also think there's plenty of therapists and psychiatrists who have no fucking clue how to integrate that and want to give you the experience and hope for the best because it's legal now or because right. they can prescribe it. You know that the doctor, there's a doctor, uh, Gabor Mate from, yeah. I had him on Dopey and he, no way. I yeah, yeah, I had him on Dopey. It was great. Um, and he gives ayahuasca ceremonies himself. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He does That's his own I was referencing actually thinking about with psychiatrists, but yeah. Yeah, he does his own thing and it's like yeah, it's like how do you keep the window open if the window wants to shut, right? When is the window going to shut? Like like my, my the window in my office doesn't stay open. You know, mm -hmm. so I have to stick a book in there <laughs> to keep it yep. open. So like what kind of stuff can you do? And then it's also like what it's also like even in recovery work like when we want to not necessarily simulate a psychedelic experience, but, but kind of do as many things as we can do in our recovery to experience as much of that, you know, that next level as possible. And it really comes down to, to tons of effort and work. And like, I imagine after the psychedelic experience, like that shit is work to maintain it. Fucking serious work. Yeah. I, I mean, I think so. I don't, <laughs> I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like you sound like you're like give me the dose I'm ready to go like uh, sign me up with Gabor and we're gonna do this thing are you are you if Gabor if I could go live in BC with Gabor for a year uh -huh. I'm probably in you're gonna bring like two duffel bags full of classical CDs just in case like just to make him happy because uh, yeah he, yeah that's right he was classical he, he's addicted to classical CDs that's right he yeah. was like oh my god I remember that yeah that's his like how he relates to us yeah I love that dude you yeah, could do that fun. dude do you yeah. want I have his number do you want me to call him on your behalf <sighs> of course <I> mean, <laughs> no <laughs> stop it what are you doing what are you doing but I mean like dude it's interesting because I know uh, Tim Walsh was a psychedelic warrior he was is he still your sponsor or no is that none of the business of the show um i he's like kind of in name only i haven't kept up with that one as much as I, there's like a little crew of i kind of have a mentor uh, crew yeah listen he's he's great though i think uh i appreciate your honesty uh is there anything you want to say uh on chris's behalf before we're out of this thing fuck man other than toodles um that, that's that's enough when yeah, you think about Chris, what do you think before we go? Last thing. Dude, to frame somebody who loved nothing more than laying in his sweatpants and watching Star Trek as like the person that would produce this thought for me is funny, but there's something about like living your fucking life as the way you want it to be lived, which if you think that's fucking drinking and drugging, you're wrong. I'm imagining if you're listening to this, it's not about like for Chris, I don't, it, it didn't become about the, uh, the fucking, what is the word I'm looking for when there's like no rules at all ever. Anarchy. Um, 
it wasn't this exactly. It anarchaic, wasn't this anarchist, yeah, anarchist. fucking like uh, hellscape of fucking just partying and fighting and shit. For him, like the living your life was about maybe it's fucking building your life around watching Star Trek at noon, but also getting a master's and also working really hard and also being like with your best friends in your 30s playing fucking board games. I just thought he thought he could get away with it. I don't think he thought that this was going to go down the way it went down. No, no, not at all. I don't think so either. I think he was in, but I think he probably knew he was going somewhere. You know, it's fucked up. But I'll leave. I was look. I looked right beyond that last text I got from him. In a week before he died, he was like in an apartment with some kid with the cops there, helping the kid like figure out his next steps because he'd fucked up in like this huge way. And I was like, "Holy shit, that must have been crazy for him." Right. This was like on a bender, mid bender, advocating for someone who was actively like dealing with the cops with drug stuff. Yeah. Like probably brokering deals with the police. Like, listen, he's a good kid. Right. And meanwhile, he's like double lifing hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. It's, I mean, like just the story, like, I don't know if I ever talked about it on the show, but they, they like found this weird bag of drugs in his car with gloves, like latex gloves and cigarettes. Cause I think he was so double lifing it when he smoked cigarettes, he, he, he wore the gloves so Annie wouldn't smell the cigarettes on his hands. Oh my God. Yeah. It's like OJ Simpson fucking shit. It's crazy. And so he, this coming from a place where what I was talking about is like, he had for a period, a couple of years, like lined up his life of like who he showed people he was, right. how he lived, where he was headed. Everything was like in alignment. And he was fucking psyched, man. You hear it in the dopies. Yeah. 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 Dylan, I cannot thank you enough. You should come on more often. I should call you and bother you and have you come on more often. You're great. I'm around, brother. Love you, man. Love you too, man. Thank you. All right, bro. Toodles. So that was Dylan. And, um, you know, it's like... Uh, a tale of four dopes. You know, you have Chris who who relapsed and died. You have DJ who relapsed and lived. You have me who's making this dumb podcast and trying to uh, trying to keep my shit together. And you have Dylan with fourteen years. And um, you know, the choice is yours. You do it however you want to do it. Um, and I'm grateful you guys are listening. And I'm I'm grateful for Dylan and for DJ. And for Chris, you know, I'm, I'm grateful more than anything. I'm grateful that Chris wanted to do something with me. And I never in a million years thought it would still be going now. And I would still be enjoying it at the level that I am. And I'm looking forward to uh, dopey day and we will revisit uh, clips with Chris, but uh, I refuse to do a, uh, a remembering Chris episode without a few more classics. So before we go, I'm going to play you some more classics. Stay strong, dopey nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. Do you know uh, the lion sleeps tonight? In the jungle. Do you want to do the bottom part or the top part? The lion sleeps tonight. Do you want to do the bottom part? I'm bottom. I can't do top. Do you know the bottom part? 
in the jungle? No, it goes a little bit away. Okay. Away. All right. All right, I'll do that. Okay. That gave me a nice little rush last time, the yeah. back. I feel yeah. like it's a similar tone. Yeah. I don't know all the words. I just know in the jungle, the mighty jungle, the lion sleeps tonight. That's enough. Well, it'll be fine. Okay. A I didn't even like it that much. <laughs> Dude, they fucking... They say that in The Lion King, there's some sort of like... <laughs> Are you ready? No. Can you do it? No. Um, no, I can't. You go out tired to see me face... Get me out of the race Oh man, you say I'm in your face Then you draw back Bad card. 
I want my baby back, 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 baby stop it. You go, I want my baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, back. I want my baby. You have to say back to I want my baby. I'll tap you when you I want my baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back. I want my baby back, baby back, Come on, dude. Do you know the top part? Do you know the top part? Baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back. Just do it, man, please. I can't fucking finish it. I'm just keep picturing the hundreds of people listening to this. I feel like this would be like a good sleep podcast. We could just do an hour of uh, home. <laughs> I just want to do the part, just please. All right, all right, last you time. This is the last part? time. This is the last time we're gonna try. Okay. No, 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 no. I'm gonna get it. I don't think I can do the top part. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back. I want my baby back, 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 baby back. Barbecue sauce, barbecue sauce. Not yet. That was good. We that was good enough. That was the best we're getting. We're done. I agree with that. That's when I get sad. Everything to you is toodles. Why, dude? The Dopey Nation loves toodles. The Dopey Nation loves toodles. Yeah. And most importantly... It's not... It, don't even say it. And most importantly... How about there was, there was a guy who wrote... Somebody had written something. Well, he said, when I hear Stay Strong Dopey Nation without hearing toodles, it's like getting a blowjob and instead of coming, getting kicked in the balls. <laughs> and with that, toodles, my friends. You don't, have to, you don't even say Stay Strong. You're just going to say toodles without a Stay Strong? Just toodles. Toodles. Jesus Christ. Toodles. 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 You don't have to say toodles. All right. Toodles. 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 Please drop a review. Just don't say toodles. Toodles. It's not cool. Toodles. 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 Let your fleet flag fly. Toodles. 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 Oh, toodle doodle. Toodles. Toodles. Say toodles. Don't no, say I'm not. Yeah, that's, <laughs> all you. that's all you. Sorry. Yeah. Stay strong, dopey nation. All right, toodles. You don't need to say that. You don't have to. Toodles. Don't say that. Toodles. Say toodles. Toodles. Toodles, guys. Toodles. Toodles. You don't have to say toodles. I do. Toodles. 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 Toodles, will you say it for the 50th episode? I think you can say it. I won't. What about for, for the 100th? I don't say toodles. I say stay strong, Dopey Nation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to edit that toodles and add it. Great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you don't know how to do that anyway. <laughs> All right, toodles. Toodles. Toodles, bye. Toodles. The first person I ever said toodles besides him. Nobody ever says toodles, really? thank you. Toodles. 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 Uh, toodles. Let your freak flag fly. Toodles. 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 And? Toodles. Toodles. You said it. Oh, you God. said it. All right. Toodles. Wait, wait, wait. Toodles. 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 You don't have to say toodles every episode. Toodles. You don't have to say toodles on every episode. Say it. Say toodles? Yeah. Stay strong and toodles. Toodles. You don't have to say toodles. Toodles. Toodles.
Toodles. Toodles. And thank you, Jesse. Toodles. You don't have to say toodles. toodles. It's unnecessary. You don't need to say toodles every time. Toodles. You know, it doesn't have to happen like that. Stay strong, toodles. And it's not necessary. You don't have to say anything anymore. I just like. I know you think it's not necessary. It sounds very like gay and effeminate to say toodles. Toodles. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. And toodles. And write an email. And toodles. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be about toodles. Just and write an email. Toodles. Toodles. Don't say toodles. Toodles. You, you don't think that's a strong ending? I think it's a good ending. Beautiful. That's your ending? <laughs> uh, toodles is my ending. You know that. Imagine you're in front of somebody and they say, I love it when Chris says toodles. <laughs> what would happen to you? I would lean forward and say toodles. Dopey Nation, we love you and okay. we want you to be well. All right, toodles. You don't want them to be well? I do. Be well. Be well. And toodles. 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 Stay strong, my brothers yes, and sisters and, in and toodles. 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 Stay strong, my brothers and sisters. Toodles. Stay strong. Toodles. Don't say toodles. 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 Me not say toodles. Lord of mercy. Me not say toodles. 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 Write us a review. More reviews than Omar. Toodles. 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 Look, look, someone just liked my tweet just now. Toodles. 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 Toodles, toodles, toodles. Say toodles. Toodles. Say toodles. 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 Say toodles. Say toodles. 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 Say toodles. Don't say toodles. You got everybody against me. Toodles. We don't. We don't need to say that. Take care, Dopey Nation, and toodles. You say take care, Dopey Nation. That's the new. That's the new tagline. Take care, Dopey Nation. Care. And see ya. Toodles. 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 We'll see you next time. Toodles. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. And toodles. You don't have to say toodles. Uh, Chris says toodles. toodles. All right, stay strong, Dopey Nation. Toodles. 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 Thank you. And uh, toodles. Thank you. Toodles. You don't say toodles this one time? No. Toodles. Toodles. And thank you, Jessa Reed. Toodles. Toodles. You don't say that shit. Toodles. You don't have to say toodles every time. You really, you really don't have to say it. Toodles, 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 toodles. Stay strong, my brothers and sisters in that recovery. And toodles, I'm gonna stop the call recorder. You can stay online. All right. Hey, but you don't have to say toodles. It's unnecessary. Toodles. I wanna take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be so good, so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. And I wanna take a ride up in the sky. Airplanes just pass me by, and I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But 
so good, so bad, so bad. I wanna be good, so bad. Bad desires, all I ever had. And my shadows get smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. Shadows getting smaller and smaller. City far behind. I'll take the high road, however far it winds, because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find. And I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be good so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad. All I ever had, and these suckers make me mad, and I want to call my dad, and that's all I ever had.